like that. You Hello, everybody, and welcome that. to like this Wednesday edition flash. of the Logan Blackman Show. We're excited to be here today. It's been a really, really interesting day, really crappy day outside, at least for me today. I mean, well, it should have been for everybody. Have you enjoyed weather today where it's raining and cold and windy? That's on you. That's on you. I can't, I can't help you with that one. I can't help you with that one. But as an Iowan, you know, we're, I'm used to it. Around this time of year, I'm kind of used to it. I'm kind of used to disgusting, gross weather where it feels like it's 11 o'clock at night even though it's 11 o'clock in the morning. I, I'm used to it at this point. I'm used to it. I learned to hate myself around this time in December every single year like freaking clockwork. So I'm not, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm, you know what? We're just going to get into what we need to get into today. And that is, make sure you follow the Logan Blackman Show on every single form of social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can find me on Twitter at Logan underscore Blackman. Instagram account is the Logan Blackman Show one with my personal account being Blackman Logan. You can find me on Facebook and YouTube to search Logan Blackman Show. Pop it up, or should pop up. Make sure to subscribe and like on both. Check out a few blog posts. We've got a blog post coming out for you on Friday, so make sure you stay tuned for that. We'll get to that towards the, the end of the show in regards to uh, previewing that to a certain extent. And then the main thing, of course, make sure you're following the Apple Podcast and Spotify accounts. It's the only way you're listening to this right now, so make sure if you're not already to subscribe or follow on both and leave a rating out of five stars, but leave a description down below on why you feel the way you do. Whether it's good or bad, I don't really care. It doesn't need to be a five-star rating. It doesn't need to be a one-star rating either, but it doesn't need to be a five-star rating. Just leave a description down below for whatever your rating is. It could be about a singular show. It could be about something we said. It could be about the entire show in general. It could be about the host. Do you want to replace the host or whatever you want? We will talk about it. And now, talking about replacing people, I feel like this is a good unintentional segue into what we want to talk about today because this has been the big thing surrounding the United States men's national team. And it's something we kind of talked about a little bit last week, or maybe it was, maybe it was, no, it wasn't Monday, but it was, I don't remember exactly when it was, when we talked about this. But if you know what I'm talking about in regards to the U.S. men's national team, I think you should automatically, your first thing that pops in your head is like, oh, the drama surrounding Greg Berhalter and Giovanni Reina, the 20-year-old attacking midfielder for Borussia Dortmund, played very little in the 2022 FIFA World Cup, despite being one of the most talented players on the team, if not being a top five player on the men's national team and getting displaced for minutes by the likes of Shaq Moore and Jordan Morris. Most notably Jordan Morris because Shaq Moore obviously plays right back, but Jordan Morris getting more minutes or around, I guess, probably didn't get more, but the fact he made an appearance before Giovanni Reyna is, uh, was shocking to say the least. Though I kind of understood it at the time because he brought Jordan Morris on or brought Jordan Morris to the World Cup for that exact situation. Regardless of how you felt about why Jordan Morris was brought. The reason he was brought to the team was because he has that goal-scoring touch. He's a bigger winger with more speed. That's going to be more direct and try to get it on goal. That's why he brought him. So when he came on to the game against Wales, though they sat back the entire time and invited pressure and ultimately just allowed the pressure after Gareth Bale scored the penalty from a really bad Walker Zimmerman challenge in the box, Jordan Morris comes on. And to the dismay of a lot of U.S. men's national team fans out there that Giovanni Reina, again... One of the most talented players on the team in general, and while also being a top five player, arguably on the entire roster, getting displaced minutes for an MLS player and getting to play a grand total of about 50 minutes, a little bit more than 50 minutes in the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Well, now we have some info about the situation. So I think it was a leadership summit. If I'm if I'm led to if I'm reading this right, it's a leadership summit that Greg Berhalter took part of. It was supposed to be apparently off the record. This is supposed to be off the record, but from what stuff I've read today, it sounds like Greg Berhalter knew this stuff was coming off the record. So if you know what's coming off the record, or if it's off the record, you know it's going to get reported, does that make it on the record? Is that how that works? I'm not really sure. I know I was a communications major up at UNI, go Panthers and Statesman, obviously, for William Penn. 
but I'm not sure if that, like, you expect things to be off the record, but you also expect them to get released, so that's on the record, right? So apparently, with this whole situation, so let me let me take it back a little bit. Let's go to the first game against Wales. The game we talked about a little bit where Jordan Morris came on the field for the last, what, 10 minutes, I think. I don't remember exactly when Jordan Morris got put on the field. I think it was after the penalty, so I think about the 86th minute, maybe. I don't know how many time how much time was added on afterwards, but the big thing again was that Giovanni Reina did not take play take, did not play in the game. After the game, Berhalter discussed a potential injury with Giovanni Reina. And then Giovanni Reina comes out after the game and says, no, he's healthy, but it's the manager's call. So then it just goes into a whole topic of did Greg Berhalter tell Greg Giovanni Reina to lie? Is this what's gonna happen with what's the dichotomy between the two people right now? Player and coach, what's the relationship like? Did he tell him the lie, or is Reyna hurt, or what the hell is going on? Flash forward to today, or yesterday, or a couple days ago, when was it, Sunday, and uh, this is from Paul Tenorio, I don't know what he's from, but he's verified on Twitter, which could mean anything at this point, but uh, U.S. men's national team winger Gio Reyna's lack of effort in training and scrimmages versus Al Gafara contributed to role at World Cup per sources, Reyna eventually apologized to the team, Greg Berhalter comments via Charterworks, seem to reference the issue that goes into a uh, thing, and then there was apparently a rift between Gio and, and Tyler Adams, and then uh, here's the story he, uh, I alluded to on The Herd and talked more about the podcast. It's from Jason McIntyre, who we all know is full of really great and useful information. One thing I didn't reveal yet is that it isn't in the story. A vote to send Giovanni Reyna home went 13 stame 12 to go home. And then Taylor Twelman. Came, uh, came out and said that that is not true, which does not surprise me because, again, Jason McIntyre is not necessarily the most trustworthy when it comes to these kind of sources. He's been kind of all over the place throughout his entire time with Fox Sports. When he's made an appearance at the Colin Coward show, now he's, um, since Joy Taylor's now on, uh, what's the show, Speak for Yourself, I think he's now the the news guy for Colin Coward, I think. I'm not I'm not sure how that, that role works, but we've never liked Jason McIntyre on the show. You can go back to however long you want to go about that, but... I'm not surprised that it was disputed. Uh, to clarify, going around uh, things going around with Geo, there is there was no player vote taken regarding the status of the team. The storyline of 12-13 is wrong, confirmed to me just moments ago. There was a vote among staff who worked for Greg Berhalter, including the fitness and personnel and assistant coaches, but not players. Okay, so that gets uh, a little bit more interesting in regards to what the future holds for Greg Berhalter. And then you go update it. U.S. person said at said the summit in which Burhalter participated in was supposed to be explicitly off the record. But then I saw stuff today again that said Burhalter expected it to get released. And then we have Giovanni Reyna's side of the story. So he posted on Instagram, and it's kind of funny. I, I actually kind of enjoyed this post, I'm not going to lie. So here's Giovanni Reyna's post, and I'm going to read it in its entirety, and it's a long-ass one. It's a long-ass post. I haven't seen, like, what the picture is. I think they could be make it, make it even funnier. But um, here's what it said. I hope not to comment on matters at the World Cup. It is my belief that things happen in a team setting ought to remain private. That being said, statements have been made that reflect on my professionalism and the character, so I feel I need to make a brief statement. Just before the World Cup, Coach Berhalter told me that my role at the tournament would be very limited. I was devastated. I am someone who plays on pride and passion. Soccer is my life, and I believe in my abilities. I fully expected to de and desperately wanted to contribute at the pl to the play of a talented group that as we tried to make a statement at the World Cup. 
I'm also a very emotional person, and I fully acknowledge that I let my emotions get the best of me and affect my training and behavior for a few days, learning about my limited role. I apologized to my teammates and coach for this, and I was told I was forgiven. Thereafter, I shook off my disappointment and gave everything I had off the field, on and off the field. I'm disappointed that there is continuing coverage of this, in parentheses, as well as some highly fictionalized, fictionalized versions of the events, and extremely surprised that anyone in U.S. men's sta team staff would contribute to it. Coach Berhalter has always said that issues that arise in the team will stay, quote, in-house so we can focus on team unity and progress. I love my team. I love representing my country. And, I'm folks and I am focusing now only on improving and growing as a soccer player in person. I hope that going forward, each person involved at U.S. soccer focuses only on what is in the best interest of the men's national team so we can enjoy great success at the 2016, 2026 World Cup. Or World Cup in 2026, whatever. So... There's a couple things I take away from that. The first thing is um, the obvious jab at uh, Burhalter and coaching staff. I apologize to my teammates and coach for this, and I was told I was forgiven. That usually means it's uh, it's done with. You don't expect to hear about it a couple weeks after you're eliminated from the World Cup. The second thing is the parentheses, as well as some highly fictionalized versions of events. Yeah. I'm not surprised by that. Jason McIntyre is very good at that. The 12-13 thing is really weird. I don't see that taking place. I really I really have a hard time believing that. I got sent to that. Like, Noah and I, again, we've been talking about... Noah. I bring up Noah a lot on the show because we talk about the United States stuff together. And he sent me that, and I didn't even see with Jason McIntyre at the time, and then I read his profile. I was like, ah, oh, crap. Why did I even acknowledge that being a thing at the time? It's ridiculous. And then... The other, the last thing I want to point out is Greg Berhalter told me my role at the tournament would be very limited. When you are a player with the talent of Giovanni Rand, and I understand that he is a young player, he's 20 years old, so I can understand people going like, well, he's just a kid. Why would he worry about playing in the World Cup? He should be lucky that he's on the team. There's not a lot of squads that have 20-year-olds on the roster. But when you're a player that has featured heavily while, while not being injured, because there was a time where he spread, had a lot of injuries spread out, and his injuries at club level affected his time with the national team. So we didn't see him a lot this time. I think he played four national national team games at a 14 or something like that. I can't remember the exact numbers, but he, got, he was hurt a lot. But this is a player that was a starter for the United States. He had locked down a right-wing role. But then him getting hurt, Tim Weah obviously balled out during World Cup qualifying with some of the best play. Played some of the best things the United States had to offer. Was the most threatening going forward, it seemed like. And he scored a goal at the World Cup. And he played really well at the World Cup. So... And we knew Tim Weah was going to be a starter going into the World Cup. So it's not that wasn't a surprise that Reyna wasn't the guy starting on the right wing because of the injuries. But to tell a player like that, who you can just watch him for five minutes and know he's a very emotional person. Like, he's he's always yelling. He's very emotional. Very up in your face about everything. Why would you tell him before the tournament that he's barely going to play? Why is that a strategy coaches implement? Like, I, was, I remember I was playing for JUSC. So when I was a kid... And Jeff Adamiak was our coach, not a, not a great coach. He replaced our, our the coach that was with us for years, Maddie. And I was a starter for Maddie. And I know going from different coaching staffs, they obviously have different ways they want to play, so your spot's not guaranteed. But I, my play didn't drop. I was still very attacking-minded. I was still the fastest player on the team, or at least top two fastest players on the team. And before we had a tournament up in Ankeny, Jeff sat me down, pulled. We had practice. And then Jeff would pull random people aside during practice and say, hey, you're not going to have a big role in this tournament. What does that do for morale? What, what is that really doing for morale? 
that's not helping anything. That's creating unnecessary drama. And you get that so much more with soccer. And you get that with all different sport, like all different facets of soccer as well. But that's so unnecessary. Why even say that? And it's like, this is what we go back to again about the player selection that and decision-making that Greg Berhalter had, not only during the tournament, but with the squad selection for the tournament. Why would you tell Giovanni Rainey is going to limited role at the tournament and then play Jordan Morris first? Like, I had no real issue with Jordan Morris making the squad. I really didn't have a massive, like, oh my god, I cannot believe Jordan Morris made the squad. But to play him above Reyna is very odd. To give him minutes above Giovanni Reyna is odd. To not give him any minutes in the first game. I don't even know. I don't remember if he played in the game against Iran or not. I don't think he did. I think he played seven minutes of the group stage, and that was against uh, against England. He came on the last seven minutes of the game, and then played 45 against, uh, against the Netherlands. Coming playing as a false nine, which is not his position. Because with the United States men's national team, he's played on the wing. That's been his most normal position with the national team when he plays for for Dortmund. He plays on the left wing and then also plays a little bit more in the midfield area. Not as a striker. Those are two different areas. Yes, it's both central, but they're two different areas. When you're chasing a game, why are you bringing on Reyna as a striker? That doesn't make any feasible sense at all. It's just unnecessary beef at this point. That's not needed. We don't know what's true and what's not, but the fact that this is getting out and we're actually having discussions about it reiterates what we talked about before. We cannot, Berhalter's not going to come back as the next coach. He can't. There's no way. And I'm not sitting here, he said he lost the entire rock locker room because I understand coaches and players, coaches are not going to get along with every single player. But some of these selections about like, you're not going to play for me or you're going to play for me is just very odd. The players you would think are getting told you are going to play for me, are the players that shouldn't be playing. Really, I didn't think Shaq Moore would see a single minute at the World Cup. I didn't think Shaq Moore would bring, see a single minute. And I think the only reason he played against England, this is my theory on this, he's probably, because Yedlin's getting up there, and I mean, it's weird to say Yedlin, I don't even think he's 30 yet, I think he's 29. But when the England brought on Marcus Rashford, I'm pretty confident that he thought Rashford would play on the left. Rashford went over to the right, and Shaq Moore came on at right back. Shaq Moore is probably the fastest right back outside of Sergio Dest because Dest was coming off. Dest wasn't 100% healthy going into this tournament, so I'm not surprised he came off as a, a substitute in that game. But I really did not expect Shaq Moore to play a single minute. And again, I wasn't really upset when he got called in the squad in the first place. I thought it was a pretty funny inclusion. I didn't see that anywhere being reported. But I was like, oh, that's kind of funny, but he won't play. He won't play. He won't play. Like, even, like, looking at some of the other players that didn't play. Like, Luca De La Torre didn't play. And Luca De La Torre is not one of the top, top players on this team. But you would thought, looking at World Cup qualifying, that he was one of the top replacements. Or one of the top subs. And Shaq Moore is the one making an appearance at the World Cup. And not Luca De La Torre. I wanted to go with, like, five other people. And I know two of them are goalkeepers, but... Weird. And then you look at, like, Ricardo Pepe. Ricardo Pepe was in the United States men's national team as a borderline guaranteed starter for months without any goals at club level, without any goals at international level, and he's still getting called in. And then the moment he gets in the form with Gronigan, becoming one of the best players in the league, at least at least in form, he's not in the squad. And apparently we were thinking between Haji Wright and Jordan Pifok and Pereira and Pepe and Sargent was the main guy. We never saw that as a... I never had an inkling of that the entire time. I thought Ferreira was the guy. And then Ferreira did absolutely nothing at the World Cup. He ran around like a headless chicken for 45 minutes. 
He did absolutely nothing. And they brought Reyna on as a substitute. I understand Josh Sargent was hurt. And Josh Sargent didn't play in that game because he got hurt in the game against Iran. But come on. Like these mid-game substitutions and these the lack of adjustment and these player beefs. Like it's just so weird. Like Matt Miazga, I'm not sitting here and saying Matt Miazga is one of the best. He would have been on the squad if I was the manager, Matt Miazga. But even Matt Miazga was like, oh, uh, got some things with the manager. We're going to talk about those at a later time. Like, it's just unnecessary issues that don't really seem to be issues. We have the whole thing with John Brooks as well. Whatever the hell happened with Zach Steffen? Like, what the... What is going on? Why are all these beefs happening? And again, I would reiterate this. I understand managers will not get along with every single player on the team. But there's, like, unnecessary things that make no sense and are not for the betterment of the team. Because you're not adjusting. Like, you, we, I listened to the um, pregame for the Nether- for Argentina-Croatia today. And Argentina against the Netherlands, because they're not great at set pieces, like the United States isn't, played with a back five. And yes, they went to extra time, but at least they scored two goals in the game, were up at one point, and still managed to hold on and go to penalties and win. The United States stuck stupidly with a back, three, back four and got killed on the counterattack. Like we said that before the Netherlands game, the United States should probably line up with a back five. Because du- the Dutch are very lethal on the counterattack. And Cameron Carter-Vickers, at right wing, at right-sided center back, with Zimmerman in the middle because of his height and Ream because of his passing ability, that would be your lineup. But instead, you line up with a back four with your two slowest center backs and get shocked when you get murdered on the counterattack. And you're like, well, that sucks. Too bad we can't make any changes to that. And your lone change is, oh, let's bring Reyna on as a false nine. This is one of your best players. Told him you're not going to give him a role at the tournament. And then in the first game, you said, oh, he's hurt. And then you go, oh, I don't know if I told but you. I'll let you decide if I told him to lie or not. And then we're creating all these little issues that just aren't needed at all. It's so unnecessary. It's so unnecessary. So going into 2026... He cannot, he's not going to be the manager. He can't be the manager of the United States men's national team. The problem is, though, as I sit here and I hate this situation that you get stuck in as a fan, who's next? That's the next issue. Who is the next manager for the United States men's national team? How desirable is this job to people out in Europe or people that are quote unquote big time managers that are either available or are at a club level right now? Because Luis Enrique has already announced he wants to go back to club level. He managed Spain for the past two tournaments, crashed both, or uh, lost in the Euros. I, I almost say crashed on penalties both times, but he wasn't the manager when they lost in the 2018 World Cup on penalties. Lost this one despite them taking, what, a thousand penalties at practice? You wouldn't think that watching it. But how desirable is it? I think it's a fairly desirable job, to be 100% honest with you. There's no doubt in my mind the U.S. Soccer Federation will splash the cash to get a high. Co- uh, high-value target in there. There's no pressure. You're going to the World Cup. You're playing in the biggest media market in the world. But with that being said, the biggest media market has the least amount of scrutiny versus all the other countries that you'd go and coach for. Arguably. Because in the United States, unlike a lot of countries throughout the world where soccer is the number one sport, soccer is like the fifth or sixth most popular sport in America. For the men's side, anyways. 
yes, every kid plays soccer when they're little, which is, a, okay, that Dana White quote is ridiculous. That, that's something I need to address as well. I just thought about that. Like, look how three-year-olds play soccer. Well, yeah, there's three-year-olds playing football too. Doesn't make it any harder. I saw Daniel Shallowy. I liked this tweet. Uh, Sporting Kansas City forward said, so if I see a kid fighting, it's like, oh, they, like, oh UFC is easy. Kids fight all the time as a kid. They, like, if you're three years old, you're fighting. Happens. So that means you're a UFC fighter now? That's an odd t- – that's such a stupid take. I don't understand how that even, like – how that even crossed your mind is like – because he seems like a decently smart guy, doesn't he? Why is that something that pops in your head? As someone who cl- is, like, a decently smart dude, that is one of the dumbest takes you can have because kids play it. Kids play every sport. Kids play basketball. Basketball's 100 times easier than soccer. It's not even close. Use your hands for everything. All you use your feet for is to walk. No one thinks about ball control. Most people can catch. Not any, like, I would love to see, I would throw a soccer ball at you or throw a football at you and catch it. I would chuck a, fo- a soccer ball, kick a soccer ball at you at the same speed and try to get you to control that. We'll see which one's harder for you to do. And then we'll talk about, oh, which sport's harder, really. Well, yeah, that's how every sport works. Normally, you play when you're a kid and gradually work your way up. Not Doesn't take a lot of brain power to figure that one out. Dana, I don't think he was a UFC fighter. Unless I'm completely missing something. So I don't I don't know. Maybe he doesn't realize how easy <laughs> fighting is. Because I've seen kids younger than three fight. So that's what I <laughs> but But I digress. Apart from, like, kids, like, soccer's the first sport a lot of people play. But a lot of people in America tra- transition to the other sports. Right after soccer. You get into soccer... And then you go to basketball, you go to football, like baseball, you do all these different things. It doesn't help that football and soccer overlap in some states here in Iowa, baseball and soccer overlap. So you're asking kids to try to decide between these two sports, two way more popular sports, though you wouldn't notice it looking at capacities of stadiums or looking at fan involvement at baseball games, but that's a whole other topic. But like Bruce Arena... Did did anybody really see Bruce Arena get lambasted for missing the 2018 World Cup? Or Jurgen Klinsmann? Did anybody really see that? Did they get publicly shamed? No, he was a manager with New York New England Revolution like the next month. Like no one cared. It got brushed under the carpet. Taylor Twelman had his rant on ESPN and that was it. It was done. Just how it was done. How it worked. You don't need to be the best manager of all time here in the US. Your 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 level of scrutiny. Versus, like, some available jobs, like Spain. I'm assuming England might be available. Brazil. Your level of scrutiny compared to those countries is non-existent. Belgium? Even Belgium is non-existent here. Because soccer's their number one sport. Soccer's our fifth or sixth. And you're going to get paid. You're in the biggest media market. You're going to get paid. Scrutiny's very low. You're with a very talented young team. And you're hosting the World Cup in 2026. Like, everything is there to be a successful partnership. It's just a matter of who would take that. And again, it doesn't need to be an American guy. It doesn't need to be an American. Like, there's a lot of people that want to, like, nail on that the manager of the national team has to be a citizen of that country. That's not true. That's not true. Like, South Korea's manager, I'm pretty sure, is Portuguese. Iran's manager is Portuguese. Belgians, Belgium's uh, manager, Roberto Martinez, is Spanish? I believe he's Spanish. 
like it you don't need to be <laughs> the national um well hold on hold on hold on hold on is sco I can't spell sorry okay never mind I was gonna say another manager but that's a uh, now that I've looked it up I don't need to say it anymore so you'll never know what I was gonna say but it need to be it doesn't need to be a thing I'm sure they could splash the cash to get Zinedine Zidane. I don't think, like, Pep Guardiola, that one's way off the mark. Roberto Martinez, don't want, because that's just another clone, a more uh, famous version of Gray Berhalter. Really. I don't want Roberto Martinez. Marcelo Bielsa could be fun, but he's older, so I don't know if I'd want him. Jesse Marsh is obviously going to be the one that's linked the most because he's a United States citizen. Managed some of the biggest clubs. Biggest. He's managed a lot of really big clubs over in Europe. Currently the manager of Leeds United. I don't know... If he can stay up in the Premier League, I don't know how tempting that job of going to the United States would be for him. Because he's the best. Like We're talking about just like the best American manager. Jesse Marsh is the guy. If that's what people are wanting, you're going to want to go after Jesse Marsh. But you're going to throw a lot of cash at Jesse Marsh to get him away from Leeds or getting him at club level. Like, I don't know. It'd be fun to see. He'd play a 4-2-3-1 formation, which is where he currently plays at Leeds. That'd be really fun to see. Be a really, really fun formation to see how the United States would line up in that formation. Because if you look at the 2026 World Cup like window, there's some players that are currently on this team now that will definitely be a part, barring injuries or you know a major, major drop in form. Like Deli Ali was one of England's best players in 2018. Nowhere to be found. He's playing over in Besiktas in Turkey. Jesse Lingard started, I think, every game apart from the third place playoff game for England at the World Cup. He's playing for Nottingham Forest. So, like, things can change in four years' time, even for young players. Obviously, Ashley Young aged out of the men's national team for England as well, but a lot can change in four years. A lot can change. Jude Bellingham was freaking 15. I don't think his mind was set on playing in the 2022 World Cup. So, there are going to be players that come out of freaking nowhere. I know the talent pool for the United States is not like England. We don't have a lot of players that are like Christian Pulisic, McKinney, Musa, Adams, Reyna. Like, those guys, this is, we've... The U.S. has been in every World Cup, apart from, like, two, since 1930. And this is the first time we've... This is the best squad they've ever had. England have had better squads than what they... <laughs> Very good England squad. I don't want to take anything away from England squad, but... You look at some of the players in the United States' current fold. You got Matt Turner's going to be there. Matt Turner should still be the starter. Dest will be there. Robinson will be there. Uh, Carter Vickers should be there. Scaly should be there. And Scaly should actually play this time. Adams will be there. Musa, McKinney, Aronson... De La Torre could probably be there, depending on if he finds some form at club level. Then we got Reyna. We got Pulisic. We got Wea. Sargent should be there. Pepe should be there. I would imagine Miles Robinson gets back into the fray. Because Miles Robinson is probably going to move over abroad at some point. He plays for Atlanta United right now, recovering from an Achilles tear. He was probably the United States' best center back at the time. Before he tore, When he tore his Achilles, he was probably the best center back they had. And you've obviously got Mark McKenzie, you've got Chris Richards will be in the fray as well. you got Johnny Cardoso, Cardoso has been linked with Roma and some other teams over in England, or Italy. Malik Tillman over at Rangers and Bayern Munich, baller. Uh, Jordi Mihailovic is moving over to Isaac Alkmaar. Uh, who else will be there? Uh, Taylor Booth for Utrecht over in Netherlands will be another player linked up there. We already talked about Pepe. Like, the United States has got some pieces that will be very big players in the 2026 World Cup that have already made... Well, I guess Taylor Booth hasn't made an appearance yet, but everybody else has made some appearances for the squad. And we all we haven't even talked about Forley and Bolgan. Bolagun plays for over at Arsenal. They're trying to convince him to come over. But he's going to be another option there at striker. 
Like other options. I don't know if we mentioned Aronson or not. Alejandro Zendayas over in America. Dual national. Paxton Aronson. Brendan Aronson's brother could make an appearance over there. Richie Ledesma over at PSV Eindhoven. Caden uh, Clark will obviously be mentioned up there. I'd say Kellen Acosta will be around for this next one. I don't know how long he'll be around, though. Busio, can he get back in it? Taylor Tessman scored a really nice free kick the other day for Venezia over in England. Or, geez, I keep saying England. Italy. Reggie Cannon's still around. you got John Tolkien for uh, New York Red Bulls. Sam Vines over at Antwerp. Other center backs. Uh, Eric Palmer Brown, I don't know if you mentioned him or not. Justin Che with Hoffenheim. And then goalies like Gabi, Gaga Salina, Slolina. Slonina, sorry, for Chelsea's moving over from Chicago Fire. John Polskamp for Sporting Kansas City. Zach Steffel will still be around. Horvath will still be around. It's like, there's a lot of stuff you could do with this team that's very, very exciting. You just need to get the right guy. And if you feel in your heart of hearts that Jesse Marsh is the guy, you got to throw some serious cash on him. Zidane would be the, mo- the, the dream one, obviously. I think everybody would like Zinedine Zidane. He's currently a free agent right now. Linked with a lot of clubs, but he's currently a free agent. That'd be fun to see. David Beckham. <laughs> Maybe he gets a manager. I mean, he wants to be an American. But, yeah. There's a lot of options out there. It's just depending on how much money they're willing to splash out. Luis Enrique, again, he's listed on this thing, but he's he said he wants to go back to club level. And Greg Berhalter is apparently tempting around some European offers, so we'll see what happens with that situation. But overall, I, I don't think you can bring Berhalter back as manager. I think there's too many ideas that were left lacking. I think some of the player selection was odd. This whole Giovanni Reina thing's a freaking mess, regardless of what's true or not. It's the fact that it got out is ridiculous with how many things was spreading around about the beginning of the tournament versus now. Like, I don't know what the hell is going on. I don't know. The I don't know if I said the lack of in-game adjustments again. If I said that, it's just imperative that we say that again. I don't know. There's just a lot of negatives. Like, when you weigh the positives and the negatives, I, I don't want to sit here and say, like, I'm I'm ungrateful for a Berhalter dig. I think Berhalter did a lot of good. We talked about this last show we did. Or we, we talked about this situation. Is that Berhalter brought over a lot of really good dual nationals. He was a part of getting Sergio Dest, Anthony Robinson, Jonas Musa, some key players to this current team. Getting Ricardo Pepe to choose the, the United States, though it didn't really matter in the end because they made the World Cup squad. Like, he's did a big thing in regards to recruitment for the United States men's national team. And he beat Mexico three times, won a couple trophies, won a Gold Cup, won a Nations League, got the U.S. back to the World Cup after they missed 2018. So there's a lot of good things he did, but he's not the guy to take them forward. He's a good guy to settle the settle the storm, to recoup everybody, get everybody back on track, and then he's basically, he's like an interim, kind of. At least that's what the hope is. I, I don't think he can come back. I don't think he can come back. Now... There's um like we said before, there's a lot of op- there's a, a lot of teams that are slowly getting out of the managers are leaving, and you've seen a lot of teams that leave the World Cup early that have high expectations that are like, oh, I'm either thinking about it or I'm gonna step down or our contract's not getting removed. I think Flick from Germany is the only national team manager that didn't reach expectations that's gonna be returning to the national team. Germany didn't make it out of the group. Like people are mad at Greg Berhalter for making it this far, though there was Again, a lot of things the United States should have done differently. I'm not saying they would have beat Argentina in the next round, but I think there's a lot of things they could do that could have set them up for more success had they gone for it against Wales, England, and Iran instead of sitting back as much as they did. They went for it against... I'll give them credit. They did dominate the game against England. But in the second half against Wales, in the second half against Iran, they completely sat back, and it was frustrating as hell to watch and nerve-wracking. Like, your blood pressure goes up. Just watch them try to defend... 
with an onslaught of attack. It's brutal. It's brutal. Thankfully, Iran had no end product. And Wales, the United States should have beat Wales. It should have been England. So it's a it's a rough draw for them. But uh, speaking of Argentina, uh, Argentina dominated Croatia today. Dominated Croatia. There was not one moment in this game where I sat back and was like, oh my God, oh, oh. Like Croatia did something crazy. No, Croatia was next, they had next to no threat in this game. Messi scored a penalty. That's been subject on Twitter a lot today. It's a penalty. Goalkeeper didn't play the ball at all. It ran right through the defense, right through Julian Alvarez. Penalty. I don't care. Like, it's he didn't play the ball at all. That's a clear penalty. I don't know why people are freaking out about that. Like, he ran right through him. He stuck his leg out, hit him, and the ball is some completely other direction. I didn't even have the sound on. We were at OP up at Cedar Falls. We were watching my sister's dog, and we were up at the OP in Cedar Falls. I had my phone on silent because we're in a restaurant. They didn't have... It's Cedar Falls, Iowa, so I wasn't really expecting there to be a lot of soccer games on today. So we had it on my phone. I was like, oh, that's a penalty. But not even sound. I didn't, like. I know there's a lot of sports media people out there that go watch games without sound on because they don't want to get influenced by the broadcasters. And when Messi stepped up to take the penalty, like how Kovic has been playing this tournament, you got to place that son of a bitch at the top of the net. With the way he's been saving penalties, you got to put it in an unsavable area. You cannot put it like in the corner. Because he's reading everything. And he dove to the right side. Messi put that son of a bitch right in the top corner. Scored the penalty. Great penalty. Completely different style of penalty than what he did against Newport against the Netherlands. Because he made Newport look like a fool in that one. That was intentional because Newport came into the, the game and was like, oh, Messi can miss penalties. Like everybody else can. Messi is human. Messi is not human. Okay? And if you watch this game, it further exemplifies what we talked about last time between Messi and Ronaldo. How the hell... Is there people out there that can watch Messi play and then think Ronaldo's better? How can they think? And I know I get all bitchy and moany about this, but it's just um, it's just annoying. It's just really annoying. The debate's been done for years, and yet people still want to act like Messi and Ronaldo are close. No, it's not close. Messi tore <laughs> Gravidol, his new asshole, in this game, and Gravidol was the best defender in the tournament. Messi torched him. There's not a, apart again, I say this all the time. Apart from being taller, there's not one thing that Ronaldo can do that Messi can't. There's a multitude of things Messi can do that Ronaldo can't. Messi Ronaldo is not making that run Messi made today. At all. He's not even attempting it. Even at, if you want to put him at the same age, if you want to put Ronaldo at 35, Ronaldo at 35 wasn't doing that. Ronaldo third at 37 is not even on the field at that time. He's coming off the bench. I don't want to discredit Ronaldo's greatness because I think he's one of the greatest players of all time. But we're being silly if we're even comparing Messi and Ronaldo apart from them, just them existing in the same era. Apart from them existing in the same era, it's not close. I know we like to do this all the time just when two, like, oh, two legends can't coexist. Well, they can, but you also can't come out and say one guy is equal to the other when they're not. And it's not close. It's not close. Messi is the reason Argentina are in the final. Ronaldo has never been the reason Portugal won anything. Ronaldo didn't even really play in the Euro 2012 final. He was out injured. Or Euro, not Euro, Euro 2016 final. Could you imagine Messi coming off the bench for Argentina in a World Cup and then proceeding to watch Argentina win 6-1? Could you imagine that? Because I can't. Argentina, yeah, they might win... So you take away Messi's goals and contributions today, 
So they have one goal from Julian, Julian Alvarez. Great run by Julian Alvarez. It was really, uh, <laughs> what do you call it, a chaotic run to the goal. But it was a, it was a goal. And Julian, Julian Alvarez has had a really, really good tournament. He's had a really good time. I was not expecting Julian Alvarez to be the guy that helps Messi win this World Cup. Because we, in the 2014 World Cup, Gonzalo Higuain missed like 18 chances that entire World Cup. That's not an exact number, but it felt like it. Might have been 100. Could have been actually more than 18. But Messi's the heart and soul of that team. I don't think this team would even be, they wouldn't be nowhere close without Messi leading this team forward. Ronaldo's coming off the bench in the 70th minute. He doesn't have, he's not that guy anymore. Ronaldo's still a very, very good player. He's better than a lot of players out there because it's like what Aaron Rodgers once said. His career, his bad, his career bad days or career worst years are some people's career best years. And that's true. Like Ronaldo at his worst is better than 98% of players out there right now. At his worst. Ronaldo's one of the greatest players of all time. But stop with the comparisons to the greatest of all time, okay? Watch the game today. And people want to say it's, again, it's rigged. I can't tell at this point if they're trolling or not. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. There's some people that probably believe that. When we also point out that, you know, England-France had a Brazilian referee. Because at the time the referee was was implemented, Brazil was still in the tournament. They weren't in the tournament when the Brazilian ref was repping the game, but when he was announced as the ref, Brazil was still in. And for Brazil and Croatia, there was an English ref. And England were still in the World Cup. But the only issue we have there is the one with the Argentinian ref roughing the Portugal game. That Why is that one the big deal? Argentina and Netherlands had 17, 15 or 17 yellow cards in the game. That was one of the worst ref games I've ever seen in my life. The only game that was like borderline really like actually good was the Portugal versus Morocco game. Because Portugal were diving all over the field, and the ref wasn't buying it. And Portugal just butt hurt because they got eliminated by a team they should not have been eliminated by. You won your last game 6-1, and you lose your next game to Morocco 1-0. No, again, no offense to Morocco. Portugal should not struggle against Morocco. Portugal shouldn't struggle against a lot of teams. So it's not really saying, like, I'm, I'm narrowing in on Morocco. They shouldn't struggle against a lot of teams out there. Yet they did. Morocco being one of the teams they should not struggle against. And Morocco have been awesome this tournament. They're so tight and compact defensively. And Bono's been playing great. Roman Saiz has been playing great. Hakim Ziyech has been playing great going forward. Like, they've been awesome this tournament. I don't want to take anything away from Morocco this tournament and how great they've been. But reality stinks and you go, wow, Portugal should not lose to them. Croatia should not lose to Brazil. Or Croatia should not beat Brazil. That's what I meant. But we're going to find somewhat excuse because this ruins our last hope of the Messi and Ronaldo debate. It's our last chance to hold on to something, even though, again, it's been done for years. This is our last thing we can hold on to. So even if you want to talk about Messi not winning, Messi's been to his second World Cup final. Ronaldo's not been to one. Ronaldo has 10 knockout goals and assists. 10 goal contributions. Throughout his entire World Cup career, not knockout, I guess I shouldn't say knockout, he doesn't have any goals contributions in the knockout stages. 10 total. Messi has eight this tournament. Throughout Ronaldo's, I think, five World Cup appearances, he has 10 goal contributions. Messi has eight this tournament alone. Let's really stop this stupid-ass debate. Okay? 
I have a lot of great memories watching Ronaldo. He's one of my favorite players growing up with Manchester United. Won a lot of stuff with Real Madrid and became a completely different player at Real Madrid. Was more focused on goal scoring and records. He's about flair at Manchester United. Wayne Rooney took a lot off in order for Ronaldo to succeed. Same with Carlos Tevez. Ronaldo was the reason a lot of Manchester, a lot of success came to Manchester United. He won the ball, his first Ballon d'Or at Manchester United. Went to Real Madrid, transformed into a goal-scoring winger. Focused on every single record in the book. Then transformed into a poacher. A tap-in guy. But it still counts the same. He's got 194 appearances. He's the all-time record goal scorer at international level. He's won so much. But those accolades don't mean a thing when he can't do anything that Lionel Messi is. Messi is the best goal scorer of all time. He's the best creator of all time. He's one of the best goal scorers of all time while also being the greatest creator of all time. And I keep bringing this one up. Messi scored 91 goals in a calendar year. Can you like? Can you fathom 91 goals? People talk about how crazy Erling Holland's season was to start off. He's not even close. He, like, his amount of goals he'd have to score to get to Messi's 91 calendar year goal was is ridiculous. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. And where Ronaldo's taking the last penalty to take the glory penalty, Messi's stepping up first to set the bar. Argentina and Barcelona and PSG and wherever the hell he's at. And this is supposed to be Messi at his worst. Messi was finished last year, according to a lot of people out there. Messi was finished. And now we're in conversations of the World Cup final could decide the golden ball winner. Messi is joint goal scorer right now while also being the top assister. Tied with Kylian Mbappe right now with five. And Kylian Mbappe in France will be taking on Morocco tomorrow at 1 o'clock. So that's going to be an awesome game. I'd recommend you watch that. It's going to be see how much Morocco can take on from Kylian Mbappe. Their defense has been great this tournament, but they haven't faced someone like Kylian Mbappe yet. Faced some good teams, faced some good players, but Kylian Mbappe is a different breed. Usman Dembele on the other side, different breed. Antoine Griezmann this tournament, different breed. Those are the three best players that are going to play in attacking sense so far this tournament. Like, and we're talking about just the front three. And I'm not even including Olivier Giroud, who's France's all-time leading goal scorer now. Like, the, there's levels. You can be great without being compared to the greatest. It's not close. And I'm tired of people acting like it's close. Because it's not. Ronaldo won his first international trophy while doing absolutely nothing the entire tournament. Got hurt in the 20th minute. Didn't do anything in the final. Adair scored the winning goal. I think Griezmann was the top player and top goals. I don't remember what all the awards were. But you look at when Messi and Argentina won their first international trophy. Messi was the top goal scorer. Messi was the best player. Messi was the top assister. Like, why? Like, when you're looking at who won the titles, Ronaldo did next to nothing. They came third in their group, and the only reason they made it to the knockout stage is because they had implemented a new rule for that exact tournament. I remember watching Euro 2012 when they got knocked out by penalties on, against Spain. At least I believe it was Spain. Ronaldo didn't even take a penalty. It was like watching Neymar not take a penalty against Croatia the other day. Why is your best player not taking a penalty? Why? Why is your best player not going first? That makes no sense to me. Especially if they're a forward. I can understand to a certain extent if your best player is a midfielder or a defender. Like even for the Netherlands, Virgil van Dijk took the first penalty for the Netherlands. Set the tone. You're the captain. You're the best player. Set the tone. I know Neymar's not the captain of Brazil, but you're the best player. 
You're joint all-time with Pele and record goal scoring for Brazil. Take the first penalty. Didn't take a single penalty. Put Rodrigo up there. Took one of the worst penalties I've ever seen. Ridiculous. But yeah, anyways, Messi is going to the World Cup final, second one, while Ronaldo is sitting at home in Portugal are bitching about uh, the ref screwed them because they had an Argentinian ref. Though, uh, again, Brazil, Croatia had an English ref, and uh, England, France had a Brazilian ref. But we're not going to talk about that. That doesn't matter because it didn't, this World Cup is, again, rigged for Messi to win it. Yes, Messi is, um, this is for Messi to win. It's rigged. It is rigged. And it's very close, actually, between Messi and Ronaldo. Oh, my God. But, yeah, the game today, it was just easy. It was just really easy. Like, they won 3-0. Messi got a goal. Messi got an assist. Julian Alvarez, again, had the weird-ass <laughs> wonky goal. <laughs> but it all counts the same. Been one of the surprise players of the tournament. But I think every single player for Argentina has now made an appearance this World Cup. Yeah, dominating game. Uh, Luka Modric, his last World Cup probably. I mean, the dude's playing forever. He's 37 years old. Doesn't look lost at all out there. Still making a huge contribution. Has a real say on being one of the great, if being the greatest midfielder of all time. One of them. I think the greatest midfielder of all time is Iniesta, but I'm not sitting here and saying like Modric is far off that. I know Zidane's going to be up there as well. Xavi's going to be up there as well. But Luka Modric has to be mentioned as one of the greatest. It has to be mentioned in the conversation as the greatest midfielders of all time. Because he's he's just amazing. And it's it's a shame he had to go out like that, but. Great player. Broke the Messi and Ronaldo stranglehold on the Ballon d'Or 2018. Deservingly so. Awesome player. And again, on Wednesday, so for you today, we got France versus Morocco. France should win, but I I guess I should stop going around saying what France should do against Morocco. (laughs) Because I keep saying all these things about Morocco. I said Portugal would win. And Morocco got a red card. Played with 10 men. Beat them 1-0. Diogo Costa, I don't know how he managed to miss the ball when they scored their header goal. Morocco literally, Moroccan player literally kissed Pepe on the head. And we're making fun of, we're talking about Argentina disrespecting Netherlands. That's disrespectful as hell. He literally kissed the dude that missed the header that would have sent to the extra time. That's disrespectful as hell. But I'm all, I'm here for it. I love a little disrespect in soccer and football every now and again. It's fun. Makes things a little bit more interesting. Players aren't robots. They need to have a little bit of personality in there. Like, I have never seen Messi on much as much smoke as he was on that Netherlands game. It was awesome. Messi was on smoke today, just on a completely different completely different smoke. Oh, man. But uh, I said they beat Spain, or Spain would beat Morocco. They did not. I thought Belgium would beat Morocco, even though Belgium, I knew, wasn't going to be very good. We had them losing in the first round of the knockout stage, and uh, they lost 2 nothing. So, yeah, I'm, I can't really say anything about Morocco anymore, but France is, again, is a different animal. They're a completely different animal than what the teams they've faced already, Morocco. Portugal's got some good players, but Portugal's best player this term is Bruno Fernandes. I love Bruno Fernandes, though he's, you know, making some stupid excuses about the referee. Killing Mbappe is next in line in regards to the GOAT status. But it would be cool to see Morocco. I'm not going to sit here and say I would, I'd be upset if Morocco would be in the final. I think it'd be really cool. But I would love to see a France-Argentina final. This is a re- rematch of the 2018 World Cup, the round of 16 where Benjamin Pavard scored that insane goal and uh, France won 4-2. Uh, rematch of that game would be nice. But I've never seen <laughs> Morocco and France, or Morocco and, uh, well, I guess any of these teams play. They said, I can remember. Maybe I'm completely forgetting about something. But, yeah, this World Cup's been awesome. I've said this before and I'll say it again. On the field, this has been one of the best World Cups of all time. Off the field, completely different story. But on the field, this has been one of the best World Cups of all time. If not the greatest World Cup of all time, we're talking about just specifically on the field. It's been awesome. 
Now, moving on to a different subject, moving on to a different sport, I guess. We're going to go to American football, at least if I covered everything I wanted to cover on this. Hold on. Do I have everything on here? Just wanted. I I gotta check all my stuff. I gotta check all my stuff. Okay, yeah, I'm. That's all I've got for you for soccer. But we're gonna move on to some football stuff. And I think this is the since we got a mock draft coming out on Friday. Let's make sure again. Make sure you check out the LoganBlattmanShow.com. Go to the blog section. You'll see it there. Come Friday morning. We're gonna talk about someone who released a mock draft today. That's Todd McShay. Now, I don't know if we t- we did this before. We also got Mel Kuyper's prospect rankings that he released a couple days ago. Yeah, he released these on December 12th. Oh, he released this yesterday. This was, yet- this was not yesterday. Oh, updated yesterday. Okay, so it makes it even more. Okay, yeah, this makes it even better. We can update it today. So we've got Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper, ESPN's top two guys, arguably the two most famous people when it comes to covering the NFL draft. Mel Kuyper is certainly the one that popularized the NFL draft in regards to making it what it is today. With all the people doing different mock drafts, including yours truly, and all the coverage around the NFL draft, the drama around the NFL draft is all thanks to Mel Kuyper. I guess I shouldn't say all thanks, but he's a major part of why the the NFL draft is what it is today. And I'm grateful for that. Though, some of his takes are interesting. The Jimmy Clausen one will always get brought up. But he was the one that banged the drum for Josh Allen before anybody else did. So... You know what? We'll respect him for that. It's one of the greatest calls in NFL draft history, say Josh Allen. Now, his thing about Jim Harbaugh and Trent Dilfer is kind of funny, but that's that's neither here nor there. But I want to talk about Todd McShay's mock draft first because we're doing a mock draft, so I might as well talk about a mock draft. And this one got released today. This one got released today. And before anybody says it, I have an ESPN Plus account. So I'm not doing this through some third-party thing where, oh, you're using exclusive content and cheating. No, I pay for this. So it's coming out my paybook, my pocketbook, okay? But we're going to talk about it here. And he talked about it at ESPN, so it's not like it's secret or anything, but it got 1 through 31, because remember the Miami Dolphins' first-round draft pick is forfeited this year because of the whole Steven Ross thing, their potential cheating thing. I don't know. It's a it's all mess. Steven Ross is a super cool guy, though. And we'll talk about the Miami Dolphins here in a little bit as well because uh, there's a game that happened on Sunday night that uh, went a little bit differently than what, a lot of, what some people expected it to, and we got another game to talk about for Monday night as well. But uh, number one overall, Houston, Texas, Bryce Young. That's the odds-on favor right now. That's the odds-on favor right now to go number one overall. And Bryce Young is not the biggest guy. Bryce Young plays for Alabama. And I know a lot of people out there be like, oh, I don't want to play for Alabama. I don't want Alabama quarterbacks because what other Alabama quarterbacks don't good in the NFL? People love those uh, revisionist history, judging the helmet besides the player. That's, uh, that's always fun. I know there's some players from Alabama right now starting the NFL, two in the AFC East, one currently leading the MVP race, though he transferred to Oklahoma. There's a few in there right now, but the history of Alabama, apart from Bart Starr and Joe Namath, is not necessarily a long one. Ken Stabler, it's not necessarily a long one. You're like you're looking at like Brody Croyle or John Parker Wilson or Greg McElroy or AJ McCarron or players like that in the NFL. I don't even know if Greg McElroy actually played in the NFL, so I guess I shouldn't say or not Greg McElroy, uh, John Parker Wilson. I don't even know if John Parker Wilson played the NFL, so that one could be. But Bryce Young is he's not that big. I don't believe he's listed. I don't believe he's six foot one ninety four. Don't believe that at all. But he is the best ad-libber, I guess you could say, in all of college football. His ability is to make defenders miss, to step out of the pocket and deliver darts. Now, his, I guess, problem, I guess you could say, is everything's on a line. That's something you can work out. We said the same thing about Malik Willis last year, but obviously Bryce Young is a lot more advanced than what Malik Willis was last year. I don't think he's not as big as Malik Willis. Malik Willis is a pretty stocky dude. Bryce Young is not. 
Bryce Young is not. Like you look at some of the other smaller quarterbacks in the NFL, they're a little stockier, so maybe his size hurts him a little bit in the end. But as of right now, Bryce Young's the number one overall pick. Right now. I'm not saying that's going to be the same because I, I think someone else will probably pass him up. We've talked about it before, so it shouldn't be a surprise to you. Uh, some of these we're going to breeze through a little bit because I don't want to spend too much time on it because it's 31 picks and it's not mine, so I don't really care all that much. Uh, Seattle Seahawks going Jalen Carter. A lot of people are considering him the best player in the draft right now. Seahawks rush defense is not great. So get someone on the D-line. Jalen Carter, a very solid pass rusher as well. Not necessarily the most production at this point, but he's got the potential to be a very good pass rusher at the next level. People compare him a lot to Quinn Williams, who's doing very, very well in the NFL. He got hurt against the Bills on Sunday, but apart from his rookie year, Quinn Williams has been very, very good. He was kind of up and down his rookie year, battled some injuries, but uh, and he had, the, he had the airport thing. Does anybody remember what he did with the airport situation? I don't remember. I'm not going to look it up because I don't really care. Uh, three of the Bears taking Will Anderson. Yeah. Uh, Khalil Mack's gone. Traded him. Robert Quinn, they traded him. So they need an edge rusher. When you look at the top positions of the NFL draft in regards to what positions you need, what are more valuable, you look at edge rusher, tackle, and quarterback. Not in any particular order, but with the Bears, with how they're going to build a team, those are the high-value positions. So if you can draft those and build around those guys, like the Browns did with Miles Garrett. I know they haven't turned around quite yet, but they went 0-16, and then uh, they made the playoffs and stuff like that, beat the Steelers in the playoffs. And Miles Garrett has been one of the best edge rushers in the entire NFL for some time now. So it works out. It works out. I know a lot of Bears fans will want receivers or linemen, but Willie Anderson's probably your best bet there. Number four, C.J. Stroud. I don't agree with um, Todd McShay on this one. Uh, makes good decision with the football, I agree with. Displays great touch, agree with. And has a big arm. I don't think he has a big arm. I think he has an all-right arm. I think he has a very accurate arm. I think he's a very smart player. I think he can make really quick decisions, but he's not the greatest athlete. He's relatively skinny, and he doesn't have the greatest arm. That being said, I still think he should be a top 10 pick. I don't think – I think, like, Bryce Young has a stronger arm than him. I think Richardson has a stronger arm. Levis has a stronger arm. Like, he has an all-right arm. I'm not saying it's a bad arm. I'm not saying he can't throw the ball 30 yards. I'm not saying that at all. But it's not a, it's not a great arm, or it's not a big arm. He doesn't have a big, big arm. He's an all-right arm. He's a good arm. He's a good arm. I agree with him on the first part. I think touch and um, decision-making is up there. I think he's very precise. I think you get, like we saw last week, we talked about him being a point guard of the offense. That's what he was. That's what he is. He's a point guard. He'll make all the smart decisions. He won't really force the ball in any bad situations. But he doesn't do anything that goes, wow. Like a lot of the wow plays for Ohio State this year, if we're being honest, were made by Marvin Harrison Jr., like that's where a lot of the wow plays for Ohio State were, where Marvin Harrison making some ridiculous catch. Which is another thing that kind of, you know, will concern some scouts and some coaches coming towards the draft, I would imagine, because you look at a quarterback as a whole and what they can be, and when you're a team that's drafting a quarterback with a high pick, when you're a bad team in the NFL that's drafting with a high pick, in this case the Lions aren't a bad team, they don't have a bad quarterback right now, but I don't know if Stroud's going to be the option for them if we're talking about them going after a quarterback or if they're going to stick with Goff or whatever the hell happens with the Lions, I don't know. But when you're a bad team like that, you worry. And I'm not saying this is for me, but I'm trying to think put myself in the mind of an NFL scout or an NFL coach or something like that, or a front office guy. Because that's all that really matters. My opinion about what I would do is not really valid here. I'm going to try and guess what they'll do and explain why I think they'll do that. But it's not, Logan would do this, this is why Logan would do like. I'm trying to think, put myself in their shoes. When you have a guy playing for Ohio State, not necessarily, I'm not, the school thing doesn't matter, but when you have a guy playing for Ohio State and plays with these big time wide receivers, that nerves some people. 
regardless of what you feel as a fan or not, that will make some people nervous. What you, can you do when things go off script? How good are you off script? Like we talked about a few weeks or a month ago probably. When I was on Colin Company, he asked me who would I have from Ohio State, Stroud or Justin Fields. I said Justin Fields. Because Justin Fields is bigger. I think Justin Fields has a bigger arm. And Justin Fields is way more athletic. So those three things, I would take Fields. Stroud, I think, is more accurate. I think Stroud's a better decision maker in the passing game. But what can he do when things break down? He gets a little happy feet when things break down. He makes some really awkward throws. Like, there were some throws against Iowa he missed. Because he got he looked uncomfortable. I, again, I think he should be a top 10 pick, but when you're a bad team with not a lot of great weapons or a bad O-line, you got to think about these types of things. How will things do when they break down? What can we see him doing? It's not necessarily what he did this year. What can we see him doing when things break down? That's why Bryce Young's going to be up there. Anderson, uh, no, Anderson, uh, Richardson will probably, I think Richardson should be a first-round draft pick, and then Levis will be, obviously be up there as well. We'll talk about Levis in a little bit. Uh, Robinson at five for the Eagles is an interesting one because – they're comparing him a lot to Saquon Barkley, who was a number two overall pick in the 2018 NFL Draft. But the position of running back since then has not really been valued the same. Like, we didn't have a running back draft in the first round last year when we had Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker get drafted in the second round, with James Cook also get drafted there. Uh, Damian Pierce got drafted, I think, in the third round. Uh, Rashad White from uh, Arizona State, now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think he got drafted in the fourth round, fifth round, one of those two rounds. Uh, Kieran Williams from Notre Dame. I don't remember what round he... He might not have even been drafted. He might have been a sixth round or undrafted. I don't remember. But you have a running back drafted this year. You had Najee Harris and Travis Etienne get drafted in the first round in 2021, both in the, twenty, I think, 24 and 25 by the Steelers and Jaguars. And then 2020... Let's go back. I don't think we had a running back draft in the first round that... Oh, no. Clyde Zolaire got drafted in the first round that year. Jonathan Taylor got drafted in the second. DeAndre Swift got drafted in the second. Anybody else? Not really thinking of any. 2019, so 2019 was Kyler Murray's draft. Was there any quarterback or running back draft in the first round that year? Because there was two receivers. It was Marquise Brown and uh, Nikhil Harry and DJK Metcalf. Uh, uh, AJ Brown got drafted in the second. There's a few others in there that got drafted in the second round. It's weird. Uh, 2019, was there a running back draft in the first round? Josh Jacobs, I guess, was drafted 24th, I think, and he's having a very successful year. And then Saquon Barkley in 2018. I, I'm completely blanking on 2019 if there was another running back draft in the first round. I know there was a – Jonah Williams was the first tackle. He was drafted 11th. We're going to have something similar this year, I'd imagine, with tackles. Uh, I'm pretty sure Josh Jacobs was the first running back taken. And I'm struggling to think of any other running back that was drafted that year. But long story short, running backs, if you're a top running back in the draft, no, they're not really viewed in that same light, getting second overall draft pick. I think B. John Robinson has the potential to get drafted that high, but I'm not really sold on him getting drafted fifth. I think you could see him get drafted with the second pick the Eagles have in the first round, which right now is 31st, than the first pick that they have. Does that, I don't. I'm, I'm like the, the the ceiling and floor for B. John Robinson's draft is five and 31. Coincidentally, both the Eagles picks. Now, there's other teams within the first round that you could draft running back. The Falcons could look for a running back in the first round. The Ravens could look for a running back. I know J.K. Dobbins had a good game this week, but he's battled a lot of injuries. The running back room for Baltimore has battled a lot of injuries this, the past couple of years, especially with how run-heavy their offense is. Uh, who else could draft a running back in the first round? Just off the top of the Bucks could maybe draft a first-round running back. I'm not saying they will because I do like Rashad White. I don't like Leonard Fournette. Never liked Leonard Fournette, but I like Rashad White a lot. Liked him a lot last year going into the draft. Uh, who else is up there for teams that could draft a running back? 
Giants, depending on what happens with Saquon, same thing goes for the Cowboys with Zeke. I'm not saying these teams will, but I'm just giving out possibilities. The Bills could be a team that draft a running back. The Chiefs, possibly, but Isaiah Pacheco looks really good right now. Jarek McKinnon went off in the receiving game this past thir- this past Sunday. But it's just it's just hard. It's just hard. Like, Bijan Robinson is a very, very good running back. He can catch the ball in the backfield. He's a big dude, breaks tackles. Like, he's everything you want in a running back. But I'm just scared for a top five pick for a running back. Like, Todd Gurley, for how great he was at Georgia, was drafted 10th and then retired in five years. Like, the, the track record for running backs getting drafted in the top five or top 10 and succeeding long term is not great. Like, Christian McCaffrey it was the eighth overall draft pick in 2017. Eighth overall draft pick. Leonard Fournette was picked fourth. And Christian McCaffrey, at his best, is the most athletic white dude on the planet. But the problem is he's not healthy all the time. He's looking really good for San Francisco right now. Had a really good game last Sunday against the Bucks, But I, you, I don't know. You got to take the bad with the good. I understand that. And Bijan Robinson's very special. But I don't know. I have a hard time with Bijan Robinson in this draft. I don't know. Uh, Falcons taking Levis. I heard some weird things about Marcus Mariota on Twitter from Arthur Smith. I didn't watch the video. I want to, you know, I want to see what he said. I'm not going to play a video or anything, but I want to make sure I get a quote. Uh, he said, I'm going to pull the I'm hurt routine and sat out. I don't, so I don't know if Marcus Mariota is going to leave. Uh, Desmond Ritter is going to be starting this week, so we'll see how good he turns out this week. But they, he hasn't taken Will Levis. I don't think that's out of the question. I think Will Levis would fit perfectly what Arthur Smith wants to do. Big quarterback that can move, strong arm, everything. But I think Ritter could do that exact same thing. I want to see what Ritter can do because I really like Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter, we said this last year going into the draft. Every year he got better, Cincinnati got better. Like the years he got better, Cincinnati followed suit. He's a leader. He looks like he's 40, but he's not, apparently. I don't know. But he looks like he's 40, and he's very talented. He's the second quarterback taken this last year's draft. It was Pickett, then him, and then Willis, and then Corral. I believe that's right. And then Bailey Zappi, and then Sam Howell in the fifth round. With Brock Purdy, obviously, going Mr. Irrelevant. And he's had the best year out of all the rookie quarterbacks. <laughs> he's only played two games. And we'll talk about Brock Purdy. Ah, Kenny Pickett's played well. But we'll talk about Brock Purdy here in a little bit. Um, but, yeah, I wouldn't be shocked by this, but the Falcons need to keep – they need to improve their defense. I, I understand they keep drafting these skill positions in the first round, they need to keep they need to improve their defense. Their defense is bad. Their offense is anemic, but they need to improve their defense. But if Ritter doesn't work out these next couple games, which I'm surprised he hasn't played to this point in the season, I thought he should have come in a lot sooner. But if he doesn't work out, then yeah, go after a quarterback. But Levis at six is an interesting one. Coltskin, Peter Skaronsky from Northwestern doesn't surprise me. I think they'll go after a quarterback, but their old line stinks. Their old line's been injured to hell and back. Their old line's been one of their best units. Skaronsky comes in that same old Rashawn Slayer, could play guard or center, but though he's played tackle a lot in his career, he's been starting since he was a freshman at Northwestern. Plug and play, left or right tackle, and the Colts do need help on the old line. And maybe they go after a quarterback in the second round or a free agency or like get Derek Carr or something. But I think you'd look at, um, crap, Jim Irsay to look at a quarterback this year. Tyree Wilson, the Raiders at eight. Yeah. I mean, get some help on the defensive line. Uh, Tyree Wilson is a very traitsy guy. Six foot six, 280, 275 pounds. Big dude. Very athletic. So, yeah, wouldn't be surprised by that. Steelers, Paris Johnson, yeah, they need O-line help. Cardinals, Brian Bressy from Clemson, D-lineman. Yeah, to replace J.J. Watt. They play a 3-4 defense. Need some help on the defensive side of the football. We'll talk about the Cardinals again in a little bit, but Brian Bressy would make sense here. Just a D-lineman. Someone on defense. Off the line would also make sense as well. 
Carolina Panthers, Anthony Richardson, they're going to draft a quarterback. They're going to draft one. I even think before Baker got released and moved to the the L.A. Rams, I think they were going to go after a quarterback regardless. You could tell they didn't really like Baker. I think they're going to go after a quarterback. And I know David Tepper really likes Will Levis, and I could see them possibly trading up for him. But Anthony Richardson would be a very fun one. But I'm scared for Richardson on the Panthers because they don't currently have a coach in place. Though, there's a weird reality where if the Panthers went out, they'll go to the playoffs. And I don't want to live in that reality. So let's hope they tank for a quarterback and they get a decent coach. Because I I don't know. That's always a weird thing, isn't it? Like, my dad and I were talking about this yesterday. I don't um Is Vance Joseph their coach right now? I believe it's Vance Joseph. But I'm not, I'm not confident in saying that. So hold on. Come on, load for me. No, he's not. Who's the... I thought I saw him get the coaching job for there. Huh. I'm completely blanking on who their head coach is. I thought it was him. Oh, Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes is the head coach there for the Carolina Panthers. The interim head coach. But, like, when you look at Steve Wilkes with the job right now, and you win the division, you, you what, have six wins? Do you give him the job? Or do you, I don't know what their record is. They go 8-8, eight and eight, I guess. Or 9-8, and eight, or 8-8. Eight and eight. I don't know what their record has to be. But you... <laughs> Do you give him the job after winning that? Well, you win a division, but your team stinks. Your team stinks. They beat the Seahawks this week. Stayed away from that game. Friend T-Boy texted me this weekend. He said, who are you going to take in this game? I was like, I'm leaning Seahawks, but I don't want to touch that game. I am not touching that game at all. So, yeah, Panthers taking a quarterback is not really surprising. Um, Texans, Michael Mayer, weapon. You get a quarterback, get a weapon. I can see a DN being an option here as well with Levy Smith. I don't know if Levy Smith's going to keep his job, but... If Lovey Smith does, Lovey Smith's a very he likes having some solid defensive ends, so I could that, see that be an option there. Jaguars, Quentin Johnson, yeah, I think he's the best receiver in the draft, and the Jaguars will need some help. I know they brought in Calvin Ridley, but they need a, a number one guy. I like a lot of I like some of the players they have. Kirk, Say Jones, Evan Ingram balled out last week. Got uh, Calvin Ridley coming in, but get a get a guy there. Get a guy there. Uh, Green Bay Packers, Miles Murphy, yeah, need some help on the defense. Gets a, get a guy to possibly replace Preston Smith is getting older. Rashawn Gary towards ACL this year, so you're going to get some guys in there as well. Miles Murphy, much like Tyree Wilson, very traitsy guy from Clemson. More of a traditional D-end, but, you know, you can do – defensive players are very flexible nowadays and can move around. Uh, Broderick Jones from Georgia going to the Patriots. Yeah, I think that's pretty nailed in that he'll get the third – be the third tackle off the board. I don't know if he'll go to the Patriots, but they need some help on offense. Their offense is <laughs> terrible to watch. I hate watching the Patriots play. But, uh, yeah, off to lineman. I don't know if that's the answer. I was talking to T-Boy when we were watching the Bills-Patriots game. He wants a receiver or a corner. I was leaning more corner with the Patriots because first one right receivers, the last one they did was Nikhil Harry. I don't think Belichick's going to want to go dap, dip his hand back then because even then, he hadn't drafted a receiver in the first round in years, so, if ever. So, corner would probably be my option for the Patriots. Then Lions, Joey Porter Jr., yeah, I need help on defense. Jets, Osiris Torrance, the guard from Florida. O-line help, yeah, I, I think they'd lean a little bit more tackle if they were going to go old lineman, because it sounds like they're kind of fed up with Mekhi Becton and his injury history. So I'd lean more tackle, but Osiris Torrance is a big dude, play guard, but they need they probably need a little bit of help in the O-line, but Osiris Torrance would help the, hopefully not be there with the Jets, because I want to be on the Bills. <laughs> uh, Seahawks' Brian Branch can play all over the place, can play safety, can play nickel corner, can play actual corner. It's a very versatile defensive weapon, which is someone that uh, Pete Carroll would love to have. Buccaneers, Christian Gonzalez, corner from Oregon. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised by that one. Would be surprised. They need so they're gonna get something on defense, whether it's an edge rusher or a corner, just to re re solidify, retool the secondary, retool the defense. 
Giants, Jordan Addison. Yeah, yeah, the Kenny Galladay's been a giant flop this year. They traded Kadarius Tony to the Kansas City Chiefs. Don't really have a lot of other options out wide. Sterling Shepard can't stay healthy to save his freaking life. They got Wyndell Robinson, but he's been out with an ACL injury. They brought in Isaiah Hodgins from the Bills. He scored a touchdown this week. Darius Slayton's still there, I guess. But I wouldn't be surprised they went receiver. Wouldn't be surprised there. Commanders, Kelly Ringo from Georgia. Very traitsy guy. But like a lot of these corners in this draft, it's all been about can they reach their potential? Are they going to be those guys you can lean to the entire time? Are they going to falter out? They were all guys... It was like they got the size, they got the ball skills, they got the athletic ability, but can they put it together for a whole season? Keely Ringo's got two big interceptions against Will Levis and Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker. So uh, 21 feels a little low, but uh, commanders do need help on the quarterback spot. They need help on the O-line as well. Titans, Jackson Smith, and Jigba. Receiver or O-line is probably their two biggest needs right now. I could see them going after like an edge rusher, but getting a guy like Jackson Smith and Jigba would not be a, a big issue there. Uh, Chargers, Cam Smith, yeah, something on defense. Something on defense. J.C. Jackson got hurt. He wasn't having a great season anyways before he got hurt, so I wouldn't be surprised if they got another option at corner, especially with how talented the quarterbacks are in the division, though some of the teams are better than others in <laughs> the division. Broncos, Jameer Gibbs, I, I, I don't know. Why why would that? Like, Javante Williams is there. I think you can get a running back in there that can like be the main guy there until Javante Williams comes back. I don't think you need to draft a guy in the first round, nonetheless. Like, Javante Williams is a good running back. I don't think you need to replace him like like that. Uh, Ravens, Clark, Clark, Phillips, ugh, Clark Phillips Jr. Geez. Clark Phillips the third from Utah. They need help in the secondary. They need help on defense. They need help at receiver. For being a 9-4 team, they, need to, they have some holes in the roster. They have some holes in the roster. Bengals, Devon Witherspoon. Yeah, cornerback's not a big option there. Vikings, Zay Flowers, receiver from Boston College. Very fast. They need options out there. Obviously, you've got, like, Justin Jefferson there balling out. He's, like, 450 yards away from the all-time record receiving yards in the season. Breaking almost every single receiving record there is. Him and uh, the entire kill in the race for the Ops Player of the Year award is going to be insane this year. Uh, but Zay Flowers is giving another, another option. And Adam Thielen's getting up there in age, going to potentially replace him. I think that would be a very smart pick for the Vikings. The Bills, Antonio Johnson, the safety from Texas A&M. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Jordan Poirier is going to be a free agent. As of right now, they haven't re-signed him yet. Hyde's coming off a back injury or neck injury, so that's never easy to come back from. So safety might be a realistic option for the Buffalo Bills this offseason. I wouldn't be too upset by that. Uh, Cowboys' Lucas Van Ness from Iowa. We have an Iowan in the draft. Let's go, boys. Lucas Van Ness, very powerful. Very, very powerful at the end. The Cowboys are going to need some help in the edge rusher spots, whether that's on the line or standing up pass rusher. Very powerful dude. Uh, Yeah. Him and Micah Parsons could be a real threat together coming off the edge. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs, Jared Verse, D-end from Florida State. Yeah, very athletic dude. They need some help on the defensive line as well. Carlos Dunlap is older. Uh, Chris Jones, keep him inside. Frank Clark's a little bit older as well. He's a free agent as well. So, get yeah, I can see edge rusher being a thing there. And the Eagles, Isaiah Foskey from Notre Dame, athletic edge rusher can play outside linebacker or defensive end. And you know Howie Roseman loves himself some trench building, especially with Robert Quinn going on IR and he's getting older, so... It makes sense there. And Derek Barnett also injured. Terrence ACL in September. Brandon Graham's getting older. So it's it would be wise for them to look at an edge rusher this uh this offseason if they don't, you know, go like interior or go B. John Robinson or something like that early on. But yeah, that is Todd McShay's first round mock draft. His first mock draft. We got come on coming out again on Friday. Todd McShay's early first round predictions for 31 picks. Got a nice little graphic there. Got Jordan Addison, Brian Bressy, uh, Bryce Young, Kelly Ringo. 
And the funny thing about this graphic is I'm pretty sure only one of them is in the top 10. Uh, Brian Bressy comes in at number 10, but <laughs> Addison's at 20, Ringo's at 21, Young's at number one, obviously. But yeah, that's Tom McShay's mock draft for Mel Kuyper. There's not really a lot to talk about in regards to his prospect rankings. I don't really think there's a lot of like major questions. I know like Will Levis being ranked third overall is kind of surprising to people, but I don't think that's surprising, really. I think Levis, given what he did this year, is not did not put forth his best foot this season. But, like we've talked about before, there's a guy in Buffalo named Josh Allen who I think indirectly helps Will Levis' draft stock. I think they're very similar in regards to mannerisms, the way they play, similar-ish build. Like Will Levis, 6'3", 230, 235, 40 pounds. Big dude. Josh Allen a little bit taller. But they're both athletic. Both got extremely strong arms. Both very hard-nosed. Great teammates from all things considered. Though Levis puts mayonnaise in coffee. I know I'm going to bring that up every single time because that might be that little check mark on there. I'm sure some coaches won't like that because there's some weird things. NFL coaches and GMs ask players before the NFL draft. So I'm, that might be an option there that might push them off. But I don't think that's too out of the question. I think Levis really could be the number one overall pick in the draft. I think there's a chance that happens. I think Bryce Young's size could be an issue there. I think Young is a better quarterback right now, but I would not be surprised if Levis was the first overall pick. But number one and two is Jalen Carter and Willie Anderson. Yeah, not surprising. Uh, Bryce Young's at four. Not surprised. I mean, Bryce Young's going to be a top five player in the draft, obviously. Jackson Smith and Jigba. I'm shot. I'm I'm surprised by this because the last rankings he had, because he has the previously previous rankings on here, and Jigba was 16. What has he done from the last rankings to now? That there's no logic. He hasn't played. He hasn't done anything this year. I don't think Jigba is the best receiver this year based off what he's done this year. And he's had some big injuries this season with hamstrings, some knee issues. Like he's had some injuries this year. The hamstring injury is big. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba is a very, very good wide receiver. But this year was made to show that Jackson Smith and Jigba is more of a slot, not a, just a slot receiver. I think if he wasn't hurt, I think he'd be a top 15 pick easily. But with the injuries, I think he'll slip into the 20s. I don't think he'll be a top two receiver in the board, taken in the draft. Just as of right now. Uh, that could change. We'll see how he does in the workouts. But he hasn't done anything this year. Marvin Harrison Jr. has balled out this year. But I don't... I don't have him at five. I have Quentin Johnston and Jordan Addison above him right now. But again, that's subject to change. Uh, Peter Skronsky at six from Northwestern. ZJ Stroud at seven. Uh, Bijan Robinson at eight. Quentin Johnston, there he is at nine. Miles Murphy at 10. Tyree Wilson at 11. Remember, we talked about this last show or on Friday's show where Wilson and Murphy are like neck and neck for me because <laughs> they're very similar ish players. Like they're about the same size as well. Like Mur Wilson's an inch taller, but they weigh the same according to what they're listed. But big dudes. Uh, Brian Bressy. Defense tackle from Clemson at 12. Michael Meyer at 13. Paris Johnson at 14. Jordan Addison there. He's at 15. Uh, Zay Flowers, 16. Joey Porter Jr., 17. Christian Gonzalez, 18. Anthony Richardson coming in at 19. I don't think that should be a surprise to anybody. I don't think Anthony Richardson being in a top 25 or top 100 player, top 50, whatever you want to start your rankings at. I don't think that should be out of the question that he's a top 20 player. I think Anthony Richardson, given his ceiling, is easily a top 20 player. I don't even think there's a question in regards to that. If you're just talking about ceiling, I don't think there's anybody better in this draft than Anthony Richardson, just pure off, purely off ceiling. But that can, you know, ceiling is one thing. Like saying they're the most talented quarterback in the draft or saying that if they, if they reach their potential, they're going to be the best quarterback in the draft. That's, that's one thing. Actually putting it together is a completely different story. Like Josh Allen back in 2018, you look at the other quarterbacks in the draft. If he puts it all together, he'll be the best quarterback in the draft. He did. Trey Lance. If he puts it all together, he'll be the best quarterback in the draft. He's played two and a half games. One of them in a monsoon. The other one, he broke his ankle. 
So I didn't even play a half of that game. So I don't think I can even really give fair criticism or critique or praise for Lance. He hasn't done anything yet. I think there's still time for Trey Lance on that one. Both tight game. We'll talk about the Niners here in a little bit. Uh, 20, Brian Branch. Uh, Deontay Banks, surprising one from Maryland. Corner 6'2". Again, got the size there. Andre Carter, edge rusher from Army, 6'7", 250. Very desirable traits there. Outside linebacker can play D-end as well. Very traitsy guy. Uh, Broderick Jones, hardworking guy as well. I mean, you get that from the Army. But being a no-star recruit, and I think he was a wide receiver before, and now he's a possible NFL draft pick. People love that, especially going to a military academy. Uh, Broderick Jones, tackle from Georgia at 23. Devon Witherspoon from Illinois at 24. And then Keely Ringo at 25 from Georgia. The quarterback rankings for the for Kuiper, this is the thing we're obviously going to focus on because we've done this the entire season, is Levis, Young, Stroud, Richardson, Hooker. No real surprise. I don't think there should be any surprises there. I know people will go like, oh, why is Levis 1? Why is Richardson this? Why is Hooker 5? I don't think there's any surprise there. I think it's fairly simple. Uh, Jaron Hall, 6. He's been in my number six all year, apart from the last week. We had Bo Nix there. Jake Hayner at seven. Jaden Daniels at eight. Stetson Bennett at nine. And Tanner McKee, ten. I don't think Stetson Bennett's on mine at all. I'm not really even thinking about Bennett at this point. Uh, if I had to fast forward to April, I would not be surprised if this was the top five. I wouldn't be surprised at all. I think Levis being the number one quarterback in the draft should not shock anybody. I don't think it should. If it shocks you... I know it's going to be hard, but don't look at the stats. I know that's something a lot of people are going to want to do. He's like, oh, look at his stats. Look at his uh, throwing three interceptions against a Tennessee defense, which is not very good. So let, I understand that. I'm not naive to that fact. I, I completely understand where you're coming from with that. Just try to see beyond that. Look at the positives of what he did this year. I've watched every game Will Levis has played this year. I've seen him most, if not all, the throws he's made this year. There is a lot to build on there. I think the characters there, the coffee mayonnaise combinations. Well, I guess I shouldn't say it's gross because I've never had it before. Maybe it's really good. I don't even like coffee, but maybe mayonnaise is the thing that spices it up for me. But I think Young's lack of size, I think Stroud's lack of like insane arm strength will could push Levis to number one. I'm not shot by that at all. In regards to the rest of the list, Bennett, I don't have on there. Nick's not being in the top ten is kind of surprising given how good of a season he has, but I don't know if he's going to come back to Oregon or not or come back for another season. I don't know what his goals are. Hayner being at number seven doesn't surprise me that much. He's not that big. He's got a very live arm. That doesn't surprise me. Jane Daniels at eight. I'm pretty sure he had Jane Daniels at five. I'm pretty sure that's what he adjusted because I'm pretty sure Daniels is at five last time I checked this. So Daniels at eight. Yeah, Daniels is just really inconsistent in the pass game. I think at his peak, Jane Daniels is a really, really, really good passer. But there's a lot of up and down. We saw that a lot less this year than what we did at Arizona State, but it's very up and down. McKee, I think, has potential to be very good. It's just a matter of can he realize it? Because he's not the best mover. He's got the arm talent. He's got the size. He's very similar-ish in regards to just skill set of Herbert. But the offense he played in was brutal. Stanford's offense is garbage. And their defense was even worse. So it was trying to, like... McKee trying to play catch-up the entire time. They had no running backs. All the running backs got hurt at the start of the season. Uh, Filkin got hurt later in the year, but, yeah, I, McKee's in the top ten. If I had to do one, like, spitballing right now, I would probably lean uh, Young. Mm. I think by the time April comes around, Levis will be one or two, so I'll put Levis at two. 
Stroud, three. Richardson, four, because I think there's a lot of potential there, but we don't know. I think we have more questions with Richardson than we do with Levis. I think Richardson really could pass Stroud. I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Um, and then Hooker, five. I think he stays there. What's up with Bo Because Bo Nix, I'm pretty sure, was at five on one of his lists not too long ago. Is Bo Nix coming back to Oregon? Is that something that's is – that, is that happening? Because I think Bo Nix should still be up at six. Or seven. Him and Hall at six and seven, I think, is fine. Um, uh, Michael Penix is coming back. So Tanner McKee at eight. Hainer at nine. And then Duggan at ten. Or did I have did I say Daniels? Did I say Daniels? I don't know if I did or not. I said Young, Levis, Stroud, Richardson, Hooker. Knicks or Hall, Knicks or Hall. It's at seven and eight. Uh, McKee. Hayner Daniels. That's probably my top ten at this point. That's just off the top of my head. That's off the that's off the rip. <laughs> it's off the rip. But yeah, I, I think that'd be my top ten once we come around to April. I'd really think I think Levis I've talked about this on the show before. It shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. I think Levis could really get to number two, if not number one. But there's a lot of people in the NFL that think he's gonna be the top quarterback in the draft. And I could really see that. In comparisons to Stafford, to Roethlisberger, to Josh Allen, to whoever the hell you want. Big dudes with strong arms. I think he's more mobile than Stafford, but don't be shocked by that at all. I, I want you not to be shocked by that. Running backs, I mean, we're just going to talk about the top guys. Like Bijan, uh, wide receivers, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Michael Meyer for tight ends, Peter Skronsky for tackles, Otiris Torrance from guards, John Mitchell, non-Michael Schmitz from Minnesota at centers, uh, Olu Wallatini. Is another guy that should be mentioned there. Cedric Van Pran's very good center as well. The top three centers you on here, I don't think you can really argue about them. Ricky Stromberg from Arkansas is a pretty solid center as well. Uh, guards, uh, Jarrett Patterson, I really like him because he can play tackle, guard, and center. He can kind of play all over the place. Uh, Emil Akior from Alabama, another very solid guard. Layden Robinson's a solid guard as well. Andrew Voorhees can play tackle and guard as well. Uh, tackles. Uh, Blake Freeland, we like him. Uh, Cody Much from North Dakota State is awesome. Jalen Duncan from Maryland is really fun. Antoine Harrison's a good tackle as well. DeWan Jones, opposite of Paris Johnson, is a very solid tackle as well. And then uh, also Darnell Wright, one of the best right tackles in this draft as well. DNs, uh, Murphy, Wilson, Lucas Van Ness at three. Verse, uh, I like Zach Harrison from Ohio State, very solid player as well. Felix Anaduke Uzom. Uzoma from Kansas State, also a very solid player there as well. Uh, moving to defense tackle, Jen Clark, Brian Bressy, Siaka Ika, uh, very good. Tuli Tuli Pelotu from USC is a very solid option there as well. I think those Tuli uh, Pelotu and Ika will be battling for that third spot for defense tackles. Jerron Dexter is a name that should be looked out as well. Uh, Keanu Benton from Wisconsin is a very solid option there as well. Inside linebackers, Drew Sanders, Jack Campbell, they'll be battling it out with Strenton Simpson for that top spot. Uh, Noah Sewell, Henry Toa Toa, uh, Owen Popo from Auburn is also going to be mentioned up there. Dayan Henley from Washington State, he was a transfer, I believe, or I'm thinking of someone else, I'm sorry, if I'm thinking of someone else. Tommy Eichenberg got a pick six against Iowa, if I remember correctly, I think it was against Iowa. And then DeMarvin Overshone, big dude, long dude, middle linebacker from Texas. Uh, Dorian Williams from Tulane's fun as well. But yeah, your top five, I think, is uh, uh, Simpson, Sanders, Campbell, Sewell, and Tua, Toa Toa. I think that's what we're looking at right now. Sanders and Campbell are two of the best natural linebackers in the draft. I think Trenton Simpson offers you more athletically, so I think that's why you'd probably lean him number one. 
Uh, outside linebackers, Will Anderson, Andre Carter, Nolan Smith, Isaiah Foskey. Nolan Smith's from Georgia. He wasn't in Todd McShay's thing. Uh, Derek Hall from Auburn. B.J. Ojolari. Uh, Will McDonald from Iowa State. Didn't mention him before. Uh, Nick Hampton from Appalachia State. One of your lower college, smaller college guys. But yeah, Will Anderson's the cream of the creme to the creme of this draft. Corners, there's a lot of good corners here. Joey Porter, Christian Gonzalez, uh, Deontay Banks, we'll talk about him. Devon Witherspoon, Keely Ringo, Clark Phillips, Cam Smith from South Carolina is very solid. Uh, Kyo Blue Kelly from Stanford, Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State. Safeties, Brian Branch, Antonio Johnson, Jair Brown from Penn State, Chris Smith from Georgia, Jordan Battle. Uh, anybody? JL Skinner, Brandon Joseph, transfer from Northwestern to Notre Dame. Jalen Catalan injured this year. And Tory Taylor. We need to talk about other punters. Tory Taylor. Tory Taylor, best punter in the draft. I don't know if we've talked about this or not. I feel like once I got a little bit later, maybe I just remember reading it, but that's what we've got for you for now. I guess we should talk about like uh, running backs. So you had uh, Devon Ake, Akane from AM. Jameer Gibbs is my number two. He's a very similar ish style player to like Alvin Kamara. Dwayne McBride from UAB. Blake Corm, obviously hard done by not getting invited to the Heisman ceremony. Jack Charbonnet from UCLA had a very good year. Uh, Chase Brown from Illinois was awesome. Uh, Kenny McIntosh from Georgia, one of those platoon guys. So you never know what you're getting from them. Sean Tucker at Syracuse is awesome. Zach Evans is the greatest TCU running back of all time. Remember that one thing we saw earlier this year? Zach Evans, straight for Ole Miss, is on there. Uh, Muhammad Ibrahim, very solid running back. Not going to do anything particularly special, but solid. I don't know if you mentioned Eric Gray, but he's a solid option there. And then receivers, Josh Downs, we didn't mention him before. Uh, Jalen Hyatt, I'd probably put him at number four. I think Jalen Hyatt's speed is ridiculous. Same with, I mean, Josh Downs, Zay Flowers, uh, Rashi Wrights will all be mentioned up there as well. Charlie Jones, Cedric Tillman, uh, Xavier Hutchinson, first-team All-American, I think I saw this. So congratulations to him. Eliza Higgins from Stanford. He was clearly Tanner McKee's favorite target this year. A.T. Perry from Wake Forest is a solid option. Uh, then we move to tight ends. Tucker Kraft from South Dakota State is very fun. Dalton, Dalton Kincaid. We have Sam Laporta. Darnell Washington's the monster from Georgia, six foot seven, like 200 90, 100 pounds. Big-ass dude. Uh, Cameron Lotto from Bama. Will Mallory from Florida, um, from Miami. Uh, Luke Schoonmaker from Michigan. Uh, Kate Stover from Ohio State's very fun tight end. But, yeah, uh, Michael Myers the, the easily the best one there. But I put, like, Darnell Washington up there. I think he's a freak athlete. So I, just for how big he is, I think you'd have to put him at number two. Uh, but Kincaid, probably put him at three. Luke Musgrove from Oregon State. I didn't mention him, but he's up there as well. Tucker Craft at four and from Laporta five. Musgrove at six. I, I don't know. It's a, t- a tough one. But Michael Myers is probably going to be the only one to draft in the first round, really, at this point. I wouldn't be shocked if Darnell, Darnell Washington was drafted in the first round, but that's how we're kind of viewing it right now. And we're running out of time here. Not really, because we don't really have a time schedule, but we're cutting short on time. We're going a little bit long here. Uh, so we had the card, uh, the Sunday Night Football, we had the Chargers take on the Dolphins, and we think we finally got the answer to who's better between Tua and Herbert. And it's just Herbert, which we knew going in. We said before the game, when we recorded the show on Sunday, that um, Tua was probably the MVP candidate this year because of the numbers he was putting up. Herbert, part of a 6-6 six and six Chargers team at the time, uh, got blown out a couple times this year. Tua at the, was playing well. Now, again, nothing spectacular. But again, it's just good game planning for Mike McDaniels doing a bunch of crossing routes. We had the fast receivers in the league. You can do that. But Herbert just outclassed Tua. With the Chargers defense, I think I saw had nine starters out. Was that right? Or six starters out? Something like that. Six or nine starters out, LOL. But uh, Tua looked flustered the entire game. Entire, entire game. Mike McDaniel didn't call a great game either. 
Uh, but Tua looked pretty bad. He, he's not a bad quarterback by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm I'm tired of seeing like him getting put in the great category. Like I know we've talked about putting him in top five for this year, but we're going off like whole body of work. Herbert shits on him. Herbert is a lot better than Tua. Like we said this at the beginning of the year, there's not a single Chargers fan that would take Tua. There's a bunch of Dolphins fans that would take Herbert. Could you imagine Justin Herbert with this offense? Well, I don't know if this would be the offense because this could be completely different. Maybe Brian Flores is still the coach of the Dolphins. Who the hell knows? If he gets the quarterback he wanted, or one of the quarterbacks he wanted, he didn't. He clearly did not want to. We know that much for certain. But Herbert looked really, really good. Only got one touchdown in the game, but completed thirty-nine passes in the game for three hundred sixty-seven yards. Absolutely outclassed to on Sunday Night Football. But it's the Chargers. They had to make it somewhat interesting, so they only won by six points. They had to make it interesting. It's the freaking Chargers. They had to do that. And then on Monday Night Football, we had the Patriots beat the Cardinals 27-13. But the big story there, Kyler Murray tearing his ACL. Really bad. Like, I I hate when this happens. And I we've kind of joked about Kyler Murray in the past because he's kind of, I love watching Kyler Murray. I think there's not a lot of quarterbacks as talented as Kyler Murray, but uh he can be he can be a cornball at times. He can be a cornball. So it's kind of funny to see like him get made fun of on social media, not for the short thing. I think that, like, NFL meme pages are kind of stupid. Like, they do the same recycled jokes like Kyler Murray being shorter or midget and then Lamar Jackson being a running back and stuff like that. Like, it's the same recycled jokes all the time. They're not, they never really were funny. But I like him getting made fun of a little bit because I do think the dude's got a monster ego. But you you have to have that to be at the best, to be at the top level. But I hate seeing players as talented as Kyler Murray get hurt like that. He's done for the year, and we're missing him for most of next year. Like, with a player as explosive as Kyler Murray, this is not great. Like, Trey White for the Buffalo Bills just got back a year later, and he still doesn't look 100%. He does not look confident on a football field right now. And I'm worried for Kyler Murray moving forward, but hopefully, with Kyler Murray being out, the Golden Goose for Cliff Kingsbury is now injured, so that means Cliff Kingsbury can finally get out of town. Give him an actual coach that, you know, would elevate this offense more and elevate this team because Cliff Kingsbury just isn't it. I don't know what Cliff Kingsbury, what pictures he has of Kime and uh, and what he could do or what he claims he can do with Kyler Murray because it isn't it. You're going to have to try and figure out with Colt McCoy. So we'll see how it all works out. The Patriots defense looked really, really good last night. Mac Jones played a decent game as well. The Patriots offense is boring as hell to watch. It's absolutely brutal. Pierre Strong played well, the rookie from South Dakota State, very good running back. Uh, but it's just... They're just a terrible team to watch. It's just not fun. And when Kyler Murray's not playing for the Cardinals, their Cardinals are not fun to watch either. Like it's just brutal, absolutely brutal to watch the Arizona Cardinals. And I hope I wish Kyler a speedy recovery, but yeah, it's it sucks. It sucks. And then we got a game on Thursday night as well. We got the Seahawks taking on the Niners, and this sparked like maybe I, get, I hear it more because I'm from the state of Iowa, and Brock Purdy obviously played for the state of Iowa, played for Iowa State. The greatest quarterback to ever play for Iowa State. Mr. Irrelevant, first quarterback to beat Tom Brady's first ever start in dominating fashion wing 35-7. What does the future hold for Tom Br- or for Brock Purdy? And this is what we said when Jimmy Garoppolo first got hurt. I didn't think the drop down between Garoppolo and Purdy was significant. Or as significant as everybody was making it seem. Because Jimmy Garoppolo is not the reason the Niners are good. Jimmy Garoppolo's job is to not be an idiot and not turn the ball over. And if Jimmy Garoppolo does not turn the ball over, doesn't do anything too risky, the Niners will win games in fairly dominating fashion. This is what they do. They don't need 
Jimmy Garoppolo to do anything special. So with that mindset, with a quarterback that doesn't do anything particularly that special, the gap between him and the next guy skill-wise is not really that significant. Now, Brock Purdy in his time at Iowa State, though he said he's the greatest quarterback in Iowa State history, Brock Purdy does have the odd turnover in him. And that obviously was not on display last Sunday. He played an amazing – I don't want to take anything away from Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy played an amazing game against the Buccaneers. Played an amazing game. But this is a, like his first two starts. I know the Seahawks and Bucks are the greatest teams right now, but – the playing Tom Brady's first ever start and then going on the road in one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL, your very next game, is a very big, especially in a short week. We'll see how the NFL, quote-unquote, figures him out. But Brock Purdy is can do the things Kyle Shanahan requests of a quarterback. Brock Purdy is not going to do anything like that's wowing people. But Brock Purdy is, can be, unless he tries to do too much, but at the NFL level, it's a little bit different than Iowa State because he's Mr. Irrelevant. He's wasn't expected to play this year. He doesn't need to do a lot. You got players that can do everything for you. You got Chris McCaffrey and George Kittle. Debo Samuel's in there, but he's out injured for a little bit, high ankle sprain. Like you've got an insane defense. Like you do not need to be the hero of this team. And if Brock Purdy thinks like that, it doesn't try to play hero ball, then he will have really nice success with this team this year. I don't know what that means for him long term, but with Kyle Shanahan, like this is why Kyle Shanahan wanted Mac Jones. Very no, very no, vocally wanted Mac Jones. Everybody around the draft at that time said that Kyle Shanahan wants Mac Jones. John Lynch and the rest of the Niners front office want Trey Lance. And those are two different ideas there. Because one's thinking about what will work best for my system. And this is the exact same thing as dad did in Washington when they drafted RG3 second overall. Kyle Shanahan's system does not need a lot of mobility. You don't need to be able to create plays. Getting a guy like Trey Lance versus a guy like Mac Jones is night and day in regards to what they can do for your offense. But Kyle Shanahan doesn't need that. In Kyle Shanahan's perfect world, they have Mac Jones as their starting quarterback right now. And Trey Lance is God knows where else. I don't know where Mac, where Trey Lance would go. If, like I think we had him going to the Broncos. I think that's where we had him going in the mock draft during the 2021 NFL draft, I think. Though I wanted the Niners to draft Trey Lance because I thought Trey Lance was a... a Better quarterback option long term, which is what John Lynch is thinking about. Like you've got two different mindsets here, and it sometimes clash together. The coach is thinking about the right here and now, because the coach's job is here and now. The coach needs to have success now, not a quarterback that hasn't played in over a year, apart from one off game against Central Arkansas, and is not the scheme fit of what Shanahan usually looks for. John Lynch is job to build for the future. In the long term, who's the better option, Trey Lance or Mac Jones? And I know Trey Lance is hurt. Mac Jones is currently playing. Mac Jones had a pretty solid year last year, made the playoffs and everything. But long term, Trey Lance is the better option if all things you know work out the way they're supposed to. If Trey Lance me- reaches his potential, his ceiling is exponentially higher than Mac Jones. That's not that's not an offense to Mac Jones. That's just Mac Jones is I don't know. I don't really say lack of it. He's not like a a. I don't know, he's not like a, a wall or something, but he's not the greatest athlete in the world. Especially not compared to Trey Lance. Trey Lance is bigger, Trey Lance got a stronger arm, Trey Lance is way more mobile. The difference is Trey Lance broke his ankle. So we got a little bit of an issue here. Because he's not playing. And no one expected Brock Purdy to play, which is why they brought Jimmy G back. Restructures contracts, so Jimmy G will be a free agent next year. So will this create a situation between 
who's the quarterback of the Niners? Because this is kind of what happened to RG3 in Washington with the Shanahan then. They drafted Kirk Cousins in, I think, the fourth or fifth round. RG3 got hurt. Mr. Kirk Cousins comes in, takes a starting job. We never see RG3 the same again. We see him implemented in the starting lineup because this is what another situation that happens in the NFL. The GM drafted this guy. The coach didn't want to particularly draft or draft this particular guy. I'm not saying he didn't. He was like I 100% against it, but he didn't want this guy. He wanted another guy. So now, with the last pick, John Lynch is like, yeah, go ahead, draft whoever you want. You can take Brock Purdy. Because that's a guy Shanahan would, you know, can build around. Just kind of quarterback Shanahan really wants. Purdy doesn't do anything that spectacular, but Purdy is a smart dude. Apart from when he's trying to play hero ball, but at the NFL level with all the players he has around, he doesn't need to do that. So the front office, once Trey Lance is healthy, hi, let's hypothetical situation. Hypothetical situation. We go into next offseason, 49ers don't do anything at quarterback. So they go into this next season with Trey Lance and Brock Purdy. Never thought I'd say that going into the NFL. They got their two quarterbacks going into the season are Purdy and Lance. Because John Lynch drafted Purdy or drafted Lance and has so much invested in him, you look at some of the picks the Dolphins have and some of the players they have because of that trade up to get Trey Lance. He's going to want Trey Lance to have every opportunity to succeed. There is so much little invested in Brock Purdy. At this, geez, I turned off the light. That scared the crap out of me. Oh, my God. I leaned back. I was trying to, like, motion something, and I turned off. Oh, God. I had a mini heart attack. Oh, my God. I've got chills right now. Um, Well, where was I? He's got so, so much less invested in Brock Purdy than he does in Trey Lance. So Trey Lance is going to get so much more opportunities to take that starting job back even though Brock Purdy's playing really, really well right now. Though it's been a game and a half, he has played really, really well. There's no denying that. He's played very, very well. Beat two teams that not only was he not supposed to expect to play against, two teams he probably wasn't expected to beat and play as well as he did. I know everybody around here at the state of Iowa wants Brock Purdy to succeed at the next level and be the starter for the 49ers. The reality is Trey Lance is going to get every opportunity to get that job back. I'm not even saying he hasn't even lost it yet. Purdy's played, again, again, a game and a half. And he played well, but he's only played a game and a half. He's a seven-round draft pick. There's not even a chance in hell that there's, like, there's a chance that Purdy hasn't even come close to taking the starting job for Trey Lance. I don't know. I think Trey Lance right now is still the starter for the San Francisco 49ers as we go into next season. But if Kyle Shanahan sees him struggle, he'll he'll obey Josh John McDaniels for a certain time. For a certain amount of time, Kyle Shanahan will go, yes, I will play Trey Lance. You drafted him third overall. You traded up to get him. You did all this stuff for him. We're going to play him. But best believe, John, we're going to play Purdy if he starts to struggle. Same exact thing, or God forbid he gets hurt. Knock on wood, of course. I don't want Trey Lance to get hurt. Same thing that happened to RG3 in Washington. He starts to struggle, or God forbid, God forbid gets hurt. Kirk Cousins coming in. Kirk Cousins still playing in the NFL. RG3's an analyst on ESPN. I'm not saying that's the future what holds for Trey Lance. But we saw this exact same situation with another Shanahan across the East Coast. Exact, almost similar situation. I don't think the, the 49ers planned this to go like this or thought this would go like this. Trey Lance breaks his ankle, Jimmy G breaks his foot, and then Purdy comes in. So then what happens when Jimmy G comes back? So apparently he's not going to be out the entire year. So what happens then? Do we stick forward with the seventh-round draft pick or do we go with Jimmy Garoppolo, the guy we invested so much money in? But he's going to be a free agent next year. So do we see what we got with Purdy? going to the next season, or do we go with Garoppolo for the time being? This is why <laughs> the coaches and GMs get paid so much to make stupid decisions like this. Because this is hard. 
Because I guarantee Shanahan's going to want to move forward with Purdy. I can almost guarantee that. If, as things stand right now, obviously that's subject to change. Purdy could crap the bed the next few games. God forbid, because I don't want Purdy to suck. I may be an Iowa fan, but I want to see all Iowans do well at the next level. I'm cheering for Brees Hall. I'm excited to see where Xavier Hutchinson, I'm excited to see where Will McDonald go. So I want to see Purdy do well. But Trey Lance will get that job back as things stand right now. I'm not saying it's guaranteed. I think Trey Lance got a 95% chance to keep that job because there's so much invested in him. That's why they always say it's harder to make a team as a late-round draft pick or undrafted dude than a first-round draft pick. There's so much more wiggle room for a first-round draft pick. It's insane because there's so much more invested in them. And I think that's the same. That's going to happen with Trey Lance, especially at the quarterback position. That's what's going to happen, regardless if you want that to happen or not, especially here in Iowa with Purdy being a good, how good he's been. Played for San Francisco, one of the biggest brands in the NFL. One of the most successful, one of the most historic teams in the entire NFL. Playing with another Iowan in George Kittle. It's fun. It makes the state of Iowa uh, 49ers fans, kind of. When the state of Iowa is kind of already 49ers fans. Even Iowa State fans like George Kittle. I think rivalry steps aside once they get to the next level, unless you're like a dickhead. Like, Iowa fans don't like George, George Niang. Iowa State fans don't like George, Jordan Bohannon. I think there's fans of both schools that don't like either one. Like, you can have school fans of Iowa State and fans of Iowa State that don't like Iowa, or like, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm trying to say right now. But yeah, it's a, it's a slippery slope here. His dad did it in Washington. Now he's got to suffer the same fate here in San Francisco. And again, this is only after a game and a half. So it's not even like this is, there's a real competition opening up. And the real test is if when Jimmy Caroppolo comes back, who's going to be the starter then? That's going to tell a lot about what the the feeling is around Brock Purdy and San Fran. That will be telling a lot. And if he does well in this game, I know he's he's battling some injuries right now. I didn't see what the injury was, but he's battling some injuries there. We'll see how he does in Seattle. Because that's a regardless of how good the Seattle Seahawks are, night game, that is a ridiculously tough place to play. Ridiculously tough place to play. So we'll see how he does there. But we got some other fun games this weekend as well that we'll get to coming up this week. But I want to talk about Brock Purdy because that's the big story going on in the state of Iowa right now. And kind of around the NFL. At the same time, similar-ish thing. It's fun. I love when the state of Iowa is uh, at the forefront of all things cool in sports. And uh, I will leave you with this. It's the last thing I got for you today. Uh, Fantasy playoffs started, and I have successfully made the playoffs in every single one of my leagues. Yes, let's go. Some records are better than others, but you know what? Out of four leagues to make the playoffs in four, starting the season with four leagues, and having Trey Lance snap his ankle in the first week and still make the playoffs, that's pretty – or second week and still make the playoffs – Pretty damn impressive. Pretty damn impressive. Brees Hall tearing his ACL after he starts balling out. Uh, Kenneth Walker getting hurt. Jamar Chase getting hurt. Kyle Pitts getting hurt. Uh, who else all get hurt? Uh, everybody got hurt. Trey Wayne, Mon Ross St. Brown still made the playoffs. Five wins? Who cares? Made the playoffs. Don't matter. So we made the playoffs in that league. Made the playoffs in all my other leagues. Well, and I'm, I'm a different seed in every single league. I wouldn't have made the play in uh, three of the leagues. There's four teams in the playoffs. And I am, I believe, a two seed in all of them. I believe at this point. I could be wrong about that. I'm a two seed. I'm a three seed in this league, in my friend's neighborhood league. I already clicked on that one. What am I in this one? I am a two seed in this one, I believe. I'm a two seed in my William Penn league. And then in my random ass, I don't really care league. I still checked every week and made the playoffs. I am a two seed in there as well. And then, I'm, of course, I'm an eight seed in the other one. But the thing is, I have never, and I'm not, I'm not going to wood, I have never been eliminated in the first round of the playoffs. Never. Now, my team is probably the worst in the league, but still made the playoffs. 
Like I've scored fifteen hundred points this year, just over fifteen hundred points. I'm the worst team. Oh no 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 no! Oh, that's points allowed. I have scored fourteen hundred and twenty points this year, which is the worst. I'm looking at points allowed right now, but my defense has been playing pretty uh pretty solid enough this year. Solid enough, and uh, but yeah, my team scoring is not not great. The fourteen hundred twenty points. I'm the only person I believe that scored. Oh, Spencer. He scored two points less than 1,500. So I've got me and Spencer are sitting in sub-1,500, but I'm 6-8. and eight. I thought I was 5-8. and eight. I'm 6-8. and eight. I never lost the first round of the playoffs. So you know what? I'll take it. I'm getting Kenneth Walker back, potentially. Uh, Jamar, uh, Alvin Kamara's coming off by. Jarek McKinnon scoring big points. J- uh, I'm benching Jalen Waddle because of that. The, bill, the weather in the Bills game's a mess. And so, yeah, we got playoffs. Playoffs are fun. So with that being said, that's all I've got for today. Reminder to, oh, what was that? What was that? What was that? I saw some of Bo Nix, and I went away with it. Oh, that's it. Running in the bowl week, who's ready? I, I. So he's playing in the bowl game. Okay. Okay, he's, play, he's playing in the bowl game. Okay, that, I don't know if he's going to go to the draft or not, but we'll see. But that's all I've got for you today. I do sincerely hope you enjoyed the show. If not, I sincerely apologize. Try to be better next time. It's a little longer show than I was expecting, especially since I spent all the day all day traveling. But um, yeah, it was fun, fun show. Hope you enjoyed Thursday's show or Friday's show as well. We'll have the mock draft out there for Friday. Make sure you check that one out. Make sure to watch bowl games this week. Make sure to watch Brock Purdy play on Thursday night. We'll talk a little bit more on Brock Purdy on Thursday because we'll you know we record the show before the games. So we'll see you all then. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I'll see you all later. Peace.